Fields and Sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sport talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere you listen to your bevy of podcast. I tackle the topics and games of the NFL, slam dunk the what's happening to the NBA like Roger and Rerun, go after the subject matter in college sports like a drunk freshman, look on the score with young co-eds like my guys on the Georgetown Hoyas, score points and win conference tournaments, and even get my thoughts in the happenings of what's going on in professional wrestling. How can I do all those things? Because I'm better than you, and you know it. Wendell's World in Sports, rip, roaring, ready to entertain and amuse anywhere when you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and Ready to Rumble, Wendell Wallace. I take seven podcasters, put them in a line. I take seven podcasters who think they can rhyme. It'll take seven podcasters before I go for mine. And that's 21 podcasters, eight up at the same time. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today. In the world of sports, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom, namaste. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. I hope that you're doing everything that needs to be done to make your world, to make your block, to make your community, to make your household, to make every place you go to a better place to be. And you do that through love, peace, unity, harmony, understanding, respect, learning, listening, shutting up, learning, listening to those who do not look like you, those of a different skin color than you, those of a different political affiliation than you, those who worship a different God than you, those who are from a different financial background than you. Treat them with respect, treat them with love, treat them with unity, treat them the way that you would want to be treated and possibly, maybe, not for my generation, not for the generation after me, not for the generation before me, but the generations that are right now in high school, for the generations right now who are in middle school, for the generation of folks who are in elementary school, for the generations, for those who are just toddlers, for those generations. Let's see what we can do to be good examples so when we are long gone, that this world can be one place of unity, harmony, peace, love, understanding, the utopian society that I wish for, but unfortunately, I will not be able to live in. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Hey, by the way, who shot JR? I did right in the melon so I can own a ranch and start fucking Sue Ellen. Thank you very much, Red Man. All right, now I'm ready to go. Now I'm rip roaring, ready to go. Today on the podcast, man, it's going to be all about the it's going to be all about uh, the NFL. At the end of the podcast, I'm also going to be speaking about the Ben Simmons situation. I wanted to go ahead and say, you know what? I'm going to leave the NBA alone for a little bit until training camp starts and until something really um, 
that's worth talking about goes down. But now Ben Simmons is up there talking about he wants to trade. He wants to uh, go ahead. And he's not going to be part of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers organization. And he's not going to report to training camp. And we kind of already knew this. But, you know, I just wanted to go ahead and give my thoughts and opinions about it. The whole Ben Simmons situation. Is he going to be traded? Should he be traded? If he's going to be traded, where are some of the places? Where are some of the teams that uh, would be a good fit for him? So I'll get all it. To, I'll get all into that at the end of the podcast, the last uh, segment of the podcast. But yeah, we've got some uh, college football games that I want to talk about. We've got some NFL dealings that I want to talk about. And I want to talk about leading off right now what is happening in week three as far as the NFL season is concerned. Some of the early games that we're going to be talking about or some of the early games that you're going to be watching on Sunday Buffalo against my Washington football team. Chicago is going to be at Cleveland, Baltimore at Detroit, Indianapolis at Tennessee. The L.A. Chargers are going to be visiting the Kansas City, used to be champions. The New Orleans Saints are going to look to rebound when they go up to New England. See what Jameis Winston and those boys can do. Atlanta is going to try to get their first win of the season where they go play the New York Giants. Cincinnati is going to be playing Pittsburgh. Arizona looking to stay undefeated will be at Jacksonville and then the late games on Sunday we have the New York Jets going to the Denver Broncos the Miami Dolphins flying out here to Vegas to take on the Las Vegas Raiders the Tampa Tom Bay Buccaneers in the game of the week going up against the LA Rams in LA Seattle will be host will be going to uh, play Minnesota and then the Sunday night football game Green Bay at San Francisco, and then the Monday night football game, the Philadelphia Eagles will be going down to the dumb state of Texas to play the Dallas Cowboys. So through the first two games of the season, the teams that are undefeated, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Arizona Cardinals, the Carolina Panthers, who, by the way, won last uh, last night against the, uh, who did they play, the Houston Texans. So they remain undefeated now, 3-0. and The Denver Broncos, 2-0. and The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 2-0. and The defending champions, San Francisco, remains undefeated. And the LA Rams are undefeated. And teams that, are, that have not won a game yet this season, we're speaking about Atlanta, Minnesota, Detroit, the New York Giants, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, and the New York Jets. Everybody else is one in one. So when I take a look at these teams through two games, really hard for me right now to kind of decipher and who's going to be for real and who's not going to be for real. When I take a look at the 2-1-0 team, the Las Vegas Raiders have been playing well. Won two pretty good games over two pretty good opponents in Baltimore and Pittsburgh, Arizona. The sustained excellence so far through two games of Kyler Murray. How long is that going to last? So, but so far, he has that squad at 2-0. The Carolina Panthers, as I mentioned before, going 3-0, strong defense. Christian McCaffrey is going to be out with a hamstring injury for the next couple of weeks. So Sam Darnold continues to play well. So we'll see how that matriculates as the season goes along as far as the success for the Carolina Panthers. The Denver Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater, all that guy does is win, man. He's like the new age, darker skinned version of Alex Smith. He doesn't, uh, he might not elicit the confidence of a quarterback who can win you a Super Bowl. And that Denver defense is not the San Francisco 49ers of a couple of years ago that can take an average or a pretty decent quarterback to a Super Bowl and come close to winning it. But you take a look at the record 
of Teddy Bridgewater throughout his time as a starter in the NFL, whether he was playing for the Minnesota Vikings, whether he subbed and played a started a what three or four games for the New Orleans Saints, and now moving over after Carolina to play for the Denver Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater is a winner. I don't know if he's a Super Bowl champion or winning quarterback. I don't know if he's that elite. But uh, he has got the Denver Broncos right now at 2-0. Vic uh, Fangio is doing a good job so far this season. Tampa Bay, the defending champions. Of course, Tom Brady looking good. Nine touchdown passes through two games. I'll speak about this team, Tampa Bay, a little bit later on in the podcast when I talk about the game that they have on Sunday with the L.A. Rams. But there's really no surprise, especially in week two, their opponent being the Atlanta Falcons, their home opener. If they got by Dallas on Thursday night, the fact that... Uh, well, no, wait a minute. Their home opener was uh, against Dallas. My bad. But uh, so their first two games have been at home. So getting past Dallas and playing Atlanta, there's no surprise there that the Buccaneers are 2-0. The San Francisco 49ers 2-0. The LA Rams 2-0. Speak about the, again, speak about the Buccaneers and the Rams game a little bit later on in this segment. And teams who have not won a game so far this season, Atlanta, Looks like they're going to be in rebuilding mode, but Kyle Pitts so far through two games looks like that uh, he's going to be a, a good, solid, um, upper-level type of player. Minnesota thought they would be a little bit better, but two heartbreaking losses. Losing that game on Sunday, this past Sunday, to the Arizona Cardinals, a missed field goal, a very makeable field goal. The, heat, the uh, seat, the coaching seat is getting a little bit more heated for Mike Zimmer, but again, two weeks into the season, I think Minnesota can still rectify this situation that they're in right now. The Detroit Lions being the Detroit Lions went up to uh, Green Green Bay, played pretty well for the uh, first half, and then Green Bay remembered who they are and who they're playing, and that was game over. The New York Giants still trying to bring, bring back Saquon Barkley, struggling on offense, a missed opportunity to win that game on Thursday night against the Washington Snyderskins, a missed opportunity in the end zone, so some self-inflicted wounds there caused them to be 0-2, this season, the Indianapolis Colts, another team, a little bit uh, surprised that they're 0-2. They play two very good teams in Seattle and the uh, Rams to start the season. Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz. A topic that I'll be discussing in the second segment of this podcast. I don't know, man. I have no idea what to make of this guy. Every time, I mean, he's done some things so far for Indianapolis where you're thinking, hey, man, you know, this guy can do some things. And he goes out, injures not one, but two ankles. Only Carson, I mean, in a situation like this, I know it's not only Carson Wentz, but it's a, your first reaction is only Carson Wentz in this situation where he's going to have to prove this season. It's big for him to see where we're going to be going, to see what type of uh, quarterback he's going to be, what type of uh, how we're going to be thinking about him in terms of a starting quarterback, franchise quarterback, mediocre quarterback, backup quarterback. What uh, moniker, what label are we going to put on Carson Wentz moving forward, even though he's still a relatively young player in this league? It's, it's just a matter of, hey, man, you know, you can't help the club when you're in the tub. He was he was not in a walking boot and doing all those type of things. So he probably, probably is going to be a game time decision. Uh, this Sunday, I wouldn't play him. He's, they're playing Tennessee. Yes. You, you don't want to go down. zero and three, but you're taking 
a look at the AFC South. It's a winnable division. This is not the AFC or NFC West where, you know, you're going to be looking at maybe 12, 11, 10 wins to qualify to get you into the playoffs. Well, 10 and 7 in the uh, NFC and AFC West, the way these teams are playing now is probably not going to be able to uh, get you into the playoffs. But, you know, you're looking at, okay, then 13, 12, 11 games, somewhere around there. And the AFC South, you really don't need that many wins to um, try to get into the playoffs. So if I'm the Colts, I would probably hold off on Carson Wentz playing. But then again, I'm not a doctor. I haven't spoken to him. I haven't spoken to the folks who have been working on him. I haven't seen him in practice, and I don't know any thing about that situation so I'm just going to put my trust in Frank Wright and see what he says and that would be the best decision for Indianapolis moving forward Jacksonville being 0-2 at least they played a little bit better this past week Trevor Lawrence has shown some things but then again I, I worry if you're a Trevor Lawrence fan if you're a Jacksonville fan the way this organization aka the coaching staff is performing right now they're letting trevor lawrence down and i don't want to bring this name up especially if you're a stanford alum especially if you're a stanford cardinal fan or a stanford cardinal football fan or you're an indianapolis colts football fan or if you're a if you're a um andrew luck fan but man every time i see a situation with with um trevor lawrence and see him I don't know. I don't. I don't want to use the word flailing. I mean, he's a rookie for goodness sakes. I mean, Peyton Manning was terrible as a rookie. John Elway was terrible as a rookie. Terry Bradshaw was terrible as a rookie. Patrick Mahomes barely paid as a, played as a rookie. Tom Brady barely played as a rookie. So to go on two games and to you know have such adjectives as flailing and failing and that type of stuff that that was stupid of me to say something like that about trevor lawrence two games into his uh, season to use the word flailing but when i see him when i see him struggle as rookies do and then i see the coaching staff and i see how disconnect there are and i read about how disconnect and not you know the trust is not there there seems to be a lack of professionalism because of the head coach not having any head coaching experience in the nfl i i start to get a little nervous for lawrence and i think the name andrew luck being brought up is going to uh start um start being discussion points as lawrence's career goes along he's playing behind a porous offensive line doesn't have any really any type of skill players to help him out. Yes, I understand that Jacksonville has a lot of cap room moving forward to where possibly they could get themselves some help on along the offensive line and in the running back position and the wide receiving position, the way that they're looking right now. They're going to be having a high draft pick. Again, it's two games into the season, so I don't want to sit here and all of us and, and continue to you know, put nails in the coffin of the chances of Jacksonville having a semi-successful 2021 NFL season. But you take a look at who the quarterback is, the rookie quarterback, and what they're asking him to do. And then you take a look at the rookie head coach who doesn't have any type of coaching experience whatsoever. And reports are indicating that the rookie head coach who doesn't have any type of coaching experience in the NFL seems to be still stuck in some of his ways of thinking that this is still Bowling Green, that this is still Utah, that this is still Florida, that this is still um, Ohio State and his wake is still the right way and he's not really embracing or fully understanding 
the NFL situation, how it is to be a coach in the NFL, the 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 day-to-day operations of being a coach in the NFL. If this continues to be the trend, if this continues to permeate within the Jacksonville Jaguars season, I um, I don't know exactly what uh, good vibes. I don't know exactly what the glass half full scenario can be moved going forward to uh, tell the fan base, to tell the players, to uh, take care of the uh, franchise, man. Again, you have a golden ticket in Andrew Luck. You have a generational great in Andrew Luck. How are we going to go ahead and do this? Now, when Troy Aikman was first drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, he was flipping terrible. Tom Landry was way too old to coach. The Cowboys had gone into disarray and dysfunction, and Jerry Jones had to do something, and he saved not only Troy Aikman's career, but also Russell Maryland's career and Michael Irvin's career and other folks uh, that are in the Hall of Fame and won championships and won Super Bowls when he went ahead and he hired Jimmy Johnson as the head coach. How much longer... If this situation in Jacksonville is going to continue, and if it gets worse, how long are we going to hold on to the idea that Urban Meyer can finally figure things out and change things and turn things around when you have someone like an Andrew Luck who can either go the way of a Hall of Fame career after a tough rookie season, a la Peyton Manning, a la um, la, um, Terry Bradshaw, a la Troy Aikman, a la all those guys, or are we going to speak about him in terms of Andrew Luck, a generational talent whose career was cut short, whose expectations and talents were cut short and not fulfilled because of a bad organization ruining the chances for the Indianapolis Colts to make that seamless transition from one Hall of Fame generational all-time great quarterback in Peyton Manning to another, possibly in Andrew Luck, to screwing that up. So instead of going from Joe Montana to Steve Young, instead of going from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, you went from Troy Aikman, or excuse me, you went from Peyton Manning to a missed blown opportunity. And you don't get that many choices. You don't get that many opportunities for that. The Indianapolis Colts won a lottery ticket twice in a situation where Peyton Manning was on the way out, Andrew Luck was on the way in, and they blew it. They flushed it down the toilet. Is the upper management of the Jacksonville Jaguars going to do the same thing? How do they get started on the Jacksonville Jaguars and go on and on and on meandering about a team that's 0-2 and going nowhere when there's other things to talk about in the NFL? My bad. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. My Curdy B's New York Jets. 0-2, Zach Wilson. I think that uh, against Bill Belichick and the New York Jets, I think it was a come-to-Jesus moment for Zach Wilson to say, oh, oh, okay, yeah, right, I'm not playing Mountain West Conference teams. Oh, yeah, that's right, I'm not playing Coastal Carolina. Some of the bullshit that I was doing back in college, oh, that's right, I can't get away with that in the NFL. That's right, only Patrick Mahomes can. My bad, <laughs> let me go ahead. And even Patrick Mahomes on the regular can't do some of the things that... Um, Zach Wilson was trying and getting away with. So my bad, let me go ahead and start learning how to play quarterback in the NFL and um, we can work from there. The arm talent is there, the ability is there, the uh, all those things that the Jets drafted, which they fell in love with and drafted Zach Wilson on, it's all there, still there. It's just going to take some time to uh, to grow, to mature, and to coach. How successful is that going to be, especially with the Jets when you got Robert Sala being a defensive guy? I mean, we'll we'll see. We will see.
We will see. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So again, speaking about the early games in the NFL Week 3, my Washington Snyder Skins at Buffalo, Chicago at Cleveland, Baltimore at Detroit, Indianapolis at Tennessee, the Chargers at Kansas City, New Orleans at New England, Atlanta at the New York Giants, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, Arizona at Jacksonville. The late games, the Jets. The Jets at Denver, Miami at the Las Vegas Raiders, Tampa Tom going out west to the uh, to play the Los Angeles Rams, Seattle playing Minnesota, Sunday night game, the Green Bay Packers are going to be sitting at the dock of the bay and then going to play the San Francisco 49ers before they watch the tide roll away. And then Monday night football, we have the Jalen Hurts-led Philadelphia Eagles going to play the Dak Prescott-led Dallas Cowboys the game which might feature two of the best quarterbacks in the NFC East. No wonder the team that made the playoffs from the East and won that division last year finished under 500. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you can be with us. Games of interest this weekend, preseason contending teams continuing to improve, reach the levels they were at last season after disappointing week one performances. We have... The Washington football team at Buffalo, the Green Bay Packers at San Francisco. Let me go ahead and tackle. You see how I said that NFL tackle? Let me go ahead and tackle the Washington at Buffalo game. The battle of 2020 division champions. Both teams are one and one this season. Each strength of their teams not playing up to preseason expectations. We thought that the Washington football team, their front four would be dominant and be able to carry the situation of last season and build on that to uh, make the uh, football team from D.C., my hometown, the greatest place to live, the greatest place to grow up, the greatest place to raise your children, and the greatest place to be buried in when you're dead, if you're from there. But the uh, football team on the defensive line with these young cats all being first-round picks, they thought, uh, we thought, you thought, I thought, the experts thought, would be able to elevate their play once again. Maybe uh, raise it close to the level of what the San Francisco 49ers uh, the front, defensive front was a few years ago. And we all saw the results of that when you have a squad that is very strong on defense, especially along the defensive line, some of the things that they can do. But so far, and then again, it's only two games, but so far against the Chargers and against the uh New York Giants, they haven't been playing well. The Buffalo Bills offense, they were supposed to be the ones, again, to continue the upward mobility to being one of the best offenses in the league. Josh Allen receiving a six-year, $238 million contract. The acquisition of Stephon Diggs coming in uh, last season and automatically or immediately um, connecting very well. The relationship, the chemistry on the field with Josh Allen was spectacular. Josh Allen raising his profile in terms of his uh, expectations and the, um, the the wow wow of being a franchise quarterback, not just a franchise quarterback that can win a Super Bowl, but a franchise quarterback that could win MVPs, a franchise quarterback that could be that guy, a franchise quarterback that could challenge Patrick Mahomes, not just for one fluky year, but maybe three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, when we speak about who are the best quarterbacks in the league moving forward in the year 2024, 2026, 2031 as such. So far, the offensive game, especially for Buffalo, beyond below pedestrian. They rank 26 in passing offense with 212 yards passing per game. 
Josh Allen, he, he said it himself. He's going to have to start playing better. Through two games, he's only had 449 yards. Three touchdowns with an interception. 79-yard rushing, but two fumbles. He said it himself. I, I got to play better. Unacceptable. Not happening. And this situation where, you know, they're dropping eight, and because of that, that's going to be the reason. No, that, that, that's inexcusable and unacceptable. That, that should not be the situation to have Josh Allen become mediocre. All we have to do is drop eight, and that's the Josh Allen that's going to be presented. That's the Josh Allen that should be um, that should be happy with the performance, or should be uh, a person who is, you know, saying, "Hey, that's cool, that's good enough. I'm 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 good to um, go with that." His pos- uh, completion percentage is down. His 25 percent uncatchable pass rate is the third highest mark in the league. He's averaging five yards per pass. Last season, he completed 70% of his 572 pass pass attempts. And, and that was the main deal. Remember that coming out of Wyoming? I saw him play a couple of times in Wyoming. And he was a big, strong kid who could throw the ball through the uh, through through the washing machine and not have it get wet, washing machine or whatever type of water you want to be talking about. But he, you know, he had a he had basically a very strong arm. But the thing was, was his rawness. The thing was the fact that he didn't play big time college football. He went from junior college to Wyoming, a guy who wasn't a four or five star recruit. So he went to junior college, blossomed there, then went to Wyoming and blossomed there because of his athletic gifts, because of his physical gifts. So that was the reason why he was so highly thought of. So for the first couple of years, in the NFL, it was all about completion, 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 completions. Now, again, in his rookie season, he completed 58% of his passes. The next season, he completed, excuse me, 52% of his passes. The next season, he completed almost 59% of his passes. Then again, the breakthrough that he had in 2020, 70%, damn near 70% of his passes were completed. So what are we doing here? What are we looking at here? Where are we going here? What's the story that we're writing here? What song are we going to sing here when it comes to Josh Allen? Is he the guy that finished second in the MVP voting last year behind uh, Aaron Rodgers, threw for 4,500 yards, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions? Is he that guy? Is he closer to being that guy on a consistent consistent basis? Or is he going to revert to the quarterback that was inaccurate the first couple of years in the league, his first two seasons in the league. Against Washington, going up against one of the better defensive lines in the game. We're going to figure it out. We're going to see. Give us a barometer in terms of where we're going to be going for the next couple of weeks. I didn't say for the entire season. Great, bad, in between. This is not going to be a testament to me to say, oh, Josh Allen is now going to go back to what he was if he has a great game for the rest of the season. And if he plays poorly, I'm not going to say, oh, well, obviously, 2020 was a fluke and what what are we going to do moving forward because six years 238 million dollar contract extension y i k e s exclamation point exclamation point not going to be doing any of that long term after this game but again two teams or at least buffalo's case a team that was supposed to be challenging kansas city for that afc championship hasn't that we haven't seen that team just yet. Again, I know it's early and I know teams are far from peaking and I still consider this the preseason in terms of teams that we're looking at now and teams how they're going to be looking when the uh, regular season ends, especially with the 17th game, regular season game that was added, but you know, time to start improving incremental uh, steps should be starting now. So 
That's the Buffalo Bills situation with Josh Allen. The defense has been playing well. It's just now time for that offense with Josh Allen being the catalyst to um, go ahead and uh, get it started. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. The Bills playing my Washington Snyder skins, my Washington defensive line, the strong skins. The uh, line, all four linemen, as I mentioned before, were first-round picks. Chase Young out of Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen out of Alabama. Montez Sweat out of the SEC. They've combined for 28 tackles, seven tackles for losses, five sacks, one forced fumble throughout the first two weeks of play. You take a look at that and you say, okay, so what are we talking about here? Where are we going here? What's the problem here? What's the um, you know talking point here? Well, that's nice that the line is doing that, but if we take a look at the defense for Washington in its totality through the first two games, remember, one of the games that they played was against the New York Giants. Washington is allowing 49 points, 815 yards against the Chargers and against the Giants. And the defense enters week three, ranked 25th in yards, 17th in points allowed, and 30th on third down conversations. While looking at that game, the first week of the season at home against the Los Angeles Chargers, especially in the fourth quarter, it was like every time the Chargers were facing a third down, whether it was third and four, third and eight, even a couple of occasions, third and 11, the Chargers were always finding a way to get themselves a first down. So when you take a look at the numbers so far through two weeks where again 25th in yards last season they were number two 17th in points uh, points allowed last season they were fourth uh 30th in third down conversions last season they were sixth so it's about time right now to start having those guys show up and do some things what you which unit is going to be best on sunday will determine Who's going to win this football game? We're not looking for Tyler Haneke and uh, Terry McLaurin and those guys to uh, win the football game for him, especially if we're going to have Josh Allen get back to some type of resemblance of what he was last season and that offense for Buffalo picking up. Again, not jumping to prime time Buffalo, but uh, in terms of seeing some type of improvement in that offense. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening, speaking about what's going down in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers are back. Are they back to being legit uh, Super Bowl contenders? I don't know. It took the second half of the Detroit Lions game to resemble anything close to the team that went on to uh, win their division and went on to their conference championship game. Aaron Jones had four touchdowns, three of them receiving Devontae Adams had over 180 yards. The offensive unit for Green Bay is is still a work in progress. New starters at four of the five offensive line positions. Uh, Barkiari is out with an injury. It's going to take some time. The defense um, for the Packers, you know, there hasn't been a defensive player on Green Bay that that has gotten a sack yet. Still, the Packers' only sack was a team sack after uh, Jared Goff. Detroit Lions' Jared Goff last Monday fumbled without contact. So, so far, we're looking at a defensive unit in Green Bay who still haven't recorded the sack yet. So, they're going to be playing San Francisco, not the same team that went 13-3 and went to the Super Bowl and had a wide-open missed opportunity pass from Garoppolo in the late in the fourth quarter to have the great opportunity to win that game. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see. A defense in San Francisco that actually mauled, destroyed, beat up, kicked around, punked the Green Bay Packers a few years ago, not only in the NFC Championship game, but also that season in the regular season. We'll we'll see how that 
team performed. Their running back game, their running back situation, speaking about San Francisco. It's a complete and utter mess. Eli Mitchell, out. Trey Sermon, out. Jermichael Hasty out. All dealing with injuries. They're waiting on Sermon and Mitchell to see if they're going to play, but uh, Raheem Mozart, he's going to be out for the season. So the only running backs San Francisco has used all season are either out or severely injured. So Debo Samuel is the only guy, as far as the 49ers offense is concerned, is really doing anything through two games, 15 receptions, 282 yards, one touchdown. The other receivers, Chris uh, Sherfield, Mohamed Sanu, Brandon Isaac have combined for only five receptions, five receptions for 49 yards. George Kittle is not that same player that he was when we last remember him in his fame and glory where he basically ran over every single human being that was at the New Orleans Superdome in a, late in the fourth quarter in a game of elites that season in 2019 when the 49ers went down to uh, New Orleans and beat uh, the um, Saints. That might have been Jimmy Garoppolo's best game as a San Francisco quarterback. I think he threw for like 400 yards or some nonsense like that and three or four touchdowns. But late in that game when the um, 49ers needed a uh, play, they threw a pass out to uh, Kittle, and he was like four or five yards short of the first down. So he just decided he was just going to truck everybody in a New Orleans Saints uniform and get that first down. That George Kittle has not shown up just yet. But let's see what he can do or what semblance of George Kittle of 2019 is still left for the 2021 season. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about some of the games I'm interested in in the NFL. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take a break because I'm going to bogey a little bit. I want to get up. I want to do the funky chicken. I want to get up and do the kid and play. I want to get up and do the running man. I want to get up and stretch my legs a little bit. I'm going to get up, take a drink of water. I want to do a lot of things. So I'm going to go ahead and do that while we go ahead and get down the funky. And when I come back, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the LA Rams, something I'm going to be talking about. And after that, there's some things regarding the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots I want to talk about. There's some things regarding the injuries that are happening in the NFL that I want to talk about. I want to speak about Tua Tunga-Vailoa missing another game against the Las Vegas Raiders with fractured ribs. I want to talk about the situation with Carson Wentz and his ankle injuries. I want to talk about Justin Fields finally getting an opportunity to start. What took you so long, Chicago? So those are some of the things that I'm going to be talking about. Oh, and I'm also going to be talking about, yeah, those are some of the things I'm going to be talking about. Those are most of the things I'm going to be talking about. Shit, looking at my rundown, those are all the things I'm going to be talking about. So Wendell's World in Sports, passionate, getting down, all of them things in the best bumper music in the business, the best bumper music that you'll ever hear, the music that I take out the Mesquite, Nevada, and let the uh, 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18-year-olds here educate, get their ears, let their brains, let their hearts, let their souls listen to some good soul music, get down soul music, funky soul music, educational soul music. That's what I'm talking about, the best in the business. You don't believe me? You think I'm bullshitting? Listen to this.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Spotlight on Wendell Wallace. I stand among the tallest. Got my podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My apologies to you. My apologies to Arthur Connolly. My apologies to the greatest of them all, Otis Redding, who wrote that song for Arthur Connolly. Took it down to, not Memphis, not to uh, Stax, but took it down to Florence, Alabama, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Took it to the Fame Studios, Rick Hall, Spooner Olden and the boys. Just a bunch of white boys coming out with that funkiness. When a man loves a woman by Percy Sledge. Took it with Wilson Pickett and Mustang Sally and Land of a Thousand Dances and some of the greatest hits of Wilson Pickett's career was uh, produced, was made down there in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Not with the Funk Brothers, not with those guys, but with a bunch of white boys, a bunch of rednecks, a bunch of hillbillies from Alabama. Alabama at a time in Florence, Alabama, at a time in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where they had black folks picking cotton. Wilson Pickett was talking about, man, I got on the plane and was going down the Muscle Shoals. I got in there and on the... On the sides of the freeway, on the sides of the highway, on the sides of the road, you had black folks picking cotton. I was thinking to myself, what in the well, what in the hell have I gotten myself into? But, you know, Aretha Franklin career was launched at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama with Spooner Alden and all those guys. Just a bunch of white hillbillies who, if you saw, saw walking down the street, you'd be like, there's no flipping way humanly possible that them boys can come up with anything soulful, anything down, gritty, homemade soulfulness that they came up with they did never judge a book by its cover that's what i'm talking about teaching the education continues with mr wallace as i try to educate moving the society the younger generations toward awareness toward education toward respect for others never judge a book by its cover wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us Recording this on a Friday. Cannot wait to go ahead because AEW is on tonight. I want to thank the uh, fellas over at AEW. I want to thank Daniel Bryan. I want to thank my favorite, Kenny Omega, for putting on a fantastic, fabulous match on Wednesday. And I'd like to also thank AEW and Tony Khan and the boys for finally lighting the fire under Vince because Raw on Monday was fantastic. Nice to see that triple threat match, Big E, Roman Reigns, and um, Bobby Lashley, that that uh, match for what it was and for who the performers were was extraordinarily good. I'm glad to see that uh, Bobby Lashley is still being kept in the loop in terms of being a top-tier performer, now with MVP on the shelf. Now with Matt Lashley going to have to be handling all the mic duties himself. Don't know what that's going to sound like, but just in terms of his in-ring action at the age of 45, Bobby Lashley is at the peak of his powers. No more... No more programs with him marrying Lana and all that kind of bullshit and all that kind of nonsense that uh, Lashley was being put through. So I know that Vince is going to say, hey, look, it's more about the Monday Night Football reason why we're stepping up our game more than just AEW. I'm saying that's true, but also AEW has also had an impact on what Vince has been doing the last uh, couple of weeks. And it's great because for a while when there's no competition, Vince could uh, go ahead and 
and um, sign off on a whole lot of nonsense and a whole lot of bullshit and a whole lot of uh, stuff that I wasn't even watching, wasn't even caring about. Too bad that uh, this didn't happen when Drew McIntyre was the champion. Too bad this didn't happen um, after the pandemic in terms of the rise of AEW and the talent that they've acquired to have Vince uh, go ahead and, and step up his game. AEW will never be at the level of WWE as long as Vince is in charge. I mean, we can talk about the acquisitions and we can talk about the 18 to 49 demo. It's a situation where, look, man, if you're going to be on a cross-country trip and you started in Silver Spring, Maryland, and your destination is Los Angeles, California, as of right now, AEW is still in Virginia and the WWE has just gone into Colorado. So I don't care how fast, I don't care what kind of car AEW has, it ain't going to be catching up to whatever car Vince has. And Vince is driving by the time they get they by the time they get to California, ain't going to be happening. The WWE started way too uh, way for started way too uh, late for AEW to be catching up in the next I don't know five, six, seven years. But what they're doing is giving wrestling fans like myself an opportunity to watch finally watch some good programming because their competition and now with uh, kevin stein aka kevin owens contract is coming up near the end i watch smackdown i watch raw now and i'm thinking to myself man there's a whole lot of talent who i think could really flourish in aew i think of apollo cruz i think of naomi i think if they still keep bullshitting with stock shots and banks how big for the women's division in aew would that be to get someone like a Sasha Banks, that would be awesome. So, yeah, man, I'm um, I'm I'm pumped and I'm hyped. I'm interested to see how Powerhouse Hobbs versus CM Punk tonight at uh, Rampage. So, uh, yeah, they need to start showing my girlfriend Ty Connie a little bit more though. That's one that's one complaint that I have with AEW. But so far, I want to thank them for giving us wrestling fans um, the jolt that. Vince McMahon needed a little competition that Vince McMahon needed. Now, again, if you could do something with Naomi, if you could do something as far as changing the character of Alexa Bliss and bring her back to her beautiful, attractive self and get her off this fiend bullshit, that would be another step in the right direction. And whatever happened to, uh, whatever happened to uh, Mandy Rose, that woman is beyond gorgeous and she couldn't wrestle worth a damn, but uh, they sent her to NXT and I haven't heard hide nor hair of her, so... Interesting. Wendell's World of Sports. Okay, that's enough wrestling talk for those who are saying, come on, football. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. All right, let me go ahead and speak about what I wanted to speak about, namely the game of the week for many. The Green Bay, not Green Bay Packers, San Francisco 49ers already talked about them. The Tampa Tom Bay Buccaneers going out to LA, take on the Los Angeles Rams. Could be a foreshadowing could be a look-see of the possible NFC championship game. Both teams are coming in strong. Both teams are coming in undefeated. The Buccaneers haven't lost a game since week 12 of last season and have gone 10 games in a row without losing. And since 2012, though, the Rams are 6-1 and one against the Buccaneers in their last seven meetings. And if you remember last season, while Tampa was still in flux in terms of trying to get their pieces and their thoughts and their hearts and their minds and their chemistries and everything situated right, the Rams won 27-24. And if you remember, the Buccaneers won a shootout in 2019, 55-40. That was the game that Jameis Winston had like 
five, four or five touchdown passes, like 300 and, 360, 380 yards, some nonsense like that. But uh, the Rams played absolutely no defense. But I think that was the game before they got Jalen Ramsey. I'm not quite sure, but that was before the Rams were at their full powers as far as defensive capabilities are concerned. So this is going to be the first game of substance for the new look Rams. And when I say new look Rams, basically I'm saying with Matthew Stafford at the quarterback, a quarterback who lingered, who um, who was, I guess you could go down and say this is what's, this, but Matthew Stafford was going to be this generation's Archie Manning, a guy where it's like, damn, if you ever played for a good team, could you imagine how good of a quarterback he would have been? Could you imagine how different we would have been talking about his career if Archie Manning would have been playing for the San Diego Chargers instead of Dan Fowles, if he would have been playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers instead of Terry Bradshaw, if he would have had a running game like Bum Phillips had with the Houston Oilers where when Earl Campbell was the quarterback and how great Archie Manning could have elevated the Houston uh, Oilers instead of having Dan Pastorini as their uh, at their quarterback when they were challenging Pittsburgh for the AFC championship games back in the late 70s. It was always Archie Manning always having to deal with the ineptitude and the putridness of the New Orleans franchise. And it cost him a possible uh, real shot at the Hall of Fame because he was meandering and lingering behind a bad team and a bad organization. Well, Let's kind of like uh, fast forward that, I don't know, 40, 50 fucking years and talk about the uh, Matthew Stafford deal where, you know, a guy who was drafted number one and was a strong soldier, was a good soldier and put up some really good numbers and had a mulchrum of success with the Lions. But I mean, here was a guy who never really was able to live up to his potential as being the number one pick and being that guy because he was in an organization that was inept. He was in an organization that wasn't going anywhere. He was in an organization that had a history, decades and decades and decades long worth of losing and dysfunction and those type of things. So now Stafford gets traded to the uh, Rams. He gets traded to an offensive uh, guru like uh, like like uh, Sean McVay and those type of uh, situations. And so far through two games, he's been great. He's been absolutely fantastic. His 10.7 passing yards per attempt entering the uh, game is ranking third among qualifying quarterbacks. He's already developed a nice combination in chemistry with uh, Cooper Cup. Cup is, oh, what, he's top three in receiving yards. He's already caught as many touchdown passes this season as last. I think if you even take a look at uh, first two at the first two games of the season, and you're speaking at big plays possibilities, not only do the Rams have more big plays this season than probably the first eight or nine or ten games that they had last season with with um, uh, Jared Goff as their quarterback. But just the just the attempts in terms of pushing the ball downfield, in terms of trying to make the big play, I think in two games you could say that they've already highly succeeded in that uh, situation as far as the reasons for bringing in Matthew Stafford. So this is going to be a really good test. This is going to be a really good deal for the Los Angeles Rams and seeing where they stand very early in the 2021 season. But when you're speaking about the front four of Tampa Bay, I think that you're taking a look at one of the better defensive lines in the NFL. So we'll go ahead and see what happens. Tampa Bay, of course, Tom Brady, 44 years old. Wendell, are you still sticking by that notion that sooner or later he's going to fall off the cliff and that this season's going to be the year where he's not going to be as dominant, he's not going to be as great, he's not going to even be as effective 
as he was uh, last season. I I I'm, I don't two games, two games, two games, an average defense, an improving but still average defense in Dallas, and then a defense that's laughable in Atlanta. So okay, Tom did what he needed to do. Nine touchdown passes, first two games. All right, all right, fine. I'm 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 still weary. I'm still weary. I'm 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 not gonna say he's gonna fall off. I'm not gonna say that, but still there's a lot of football to be played to see uh, my thoughts and opinions about Tom Brady not falling off a cliff, but Tom Brady not being as successful statistically as he was last season. And you can make the argument, which is true, that hey man, this team is starting to uh, really feel each other because of the amount of time and the experience that they have and winning that Super Bowl and having an offseason and having a training camp. I mean, how in the world can you be speaking about, how in the world can you be giving thoughts and opinions about Tom Brady moving backwards when he's had all of these advantages for him to move forward and to top that off, he's had the offensive line. The offensive line has been great for him. So how in the world can you still be talking about Tom Brady is not going to be effective or Tom Brady is still not going to be as great as he was last season? Because again, I don't care how many avocado shakes you have. I don't care how many green smoothies you have. I don't care how many hours you sleep in an oxygen chamber. I don't care how many hours you watch film. Father Time is undefeated and 44 years old, man. 44 years old. You're one solid hit away from who knows. Ask Aaron Rodgers a couple of years ago when Aaron Barr from Minnesota fell on his shoulder while he was doing work and see what happens. Ask Drew Brees last season on his last hurrah for New Orleans to win a championship again when he was doing work and all of a sudden he got injured late in the season and put the uh, chances for the Saints to win a championship down the toilet. Ask the um, Kansas City football team who almost lost their quarterback in Patrick Mahomes who was rolling during the regular season. He got concussed during a game against Cleveland and had to um, be fortunate for Cleveland, excuse me, for uh, Kansas City to move on, man. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it happens. It absolutely happens. And again, when you're 44 years old, it doesn't take much. 44 years old, it don't take much. So I hope it doesn't happen. I'm not, I'm not hoping for any injuries for Tom Brady at all. At all, I'm just saying. You know, when you're 44, again, when you're 44, you can't take them licks. You can't take them hits like you did when you were 24 or 28 or 35 or shit, even 38 or 39. Believe me, for a guy who's past 44, believe me, for a guy who just who just kind of tweaked his knee walking from one room to the other the other night, believe me, I'm not a high-tuned, specialized athlete like Tom Brady, but for those in my age bracket, believe us, it happens. It happens. Father Time undefeated. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Buccaneers on defense. As I mentioned before, the team, the unit that Matthew Stafford and the Rams on offense are going to be facing. Buccaneers defense allowed the third most passing yards, second most, or second fewest rushing yards in the league. Now, the Cowboys and the Falcons, by design sometimes, threw the ball a combined 106 times against Tampa, and that's the most pass attempts any defense has faced this season, 15 more than the rest of the NFL. And Tampa has only faced 38 rushing attempts, which is fourth fewest in the NFL. McVay is going to be trying to, you know, balance up the offense, maybe not 50-50, but I don't think that we're going to be seeing the pass attempts that the Cowboys and the Falcons 
um, did against the Buccaneers, especially the Cowboys, who I think had Dak Prescott throw 58 times or something like that against the um, against the Buccaneers. I don't think I don't think Matthew Stafford in any way, shape, or form that's going to be part of the game plan to put the ball in the air that many times. I think um, the Rams are going to have to establish a running game to um, have a chance in this game. But uh, the key is going to be what the offensive line is going to continue to do to protect the quarterbacks and to open up uh, some type of um, domination or some type of consistency of excellence in this game. We're speaking about not only with the Los Angeles Rams defense and mitigate that pass rush, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but also on the other side of the ball, you know, one of the reasons I mentioned before about Brady being great and wonderful and awesome is the fact that he's not getting hit. He's not getting hit at all. The lowest QB pressure ratings in the NFL, both Brady and Matthew Stafford are in the top five in terms of being kept upright. Brady's being pressured only 10% of his passes. Matthew Stafford only 12%. And that goes with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Dak Prescott, which is really, if you think about the Cowboys, Really outstanding when in the first week of the season you had um, Prescott throwing the ball 58 times and he's not the most of noble, he's not the most of athletic uh, quarterbacks. So for him to be able to only be pressured 13% of the time and the amount of attempts that he's had for the Cowboys and for Matthew Stafford and the Rams and with Garoppolo has mainly been quick passes and screen passes and such. So there hasn't been too many five-step, seven-step drops for Garoppolo in the 49ers offense. So that 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 pressure, QB pressure rating for San Francisco might be a little misleading, but, you know, Brady's doing play action, five, seven-step drops. So the line for Tampa Bay has been fantastic. So we're going to be speaking about, again, when you're speaking about, when you're looking at, when you're talking about the team that's going to have the advantage on Sunday between the Rams and the Buccaneers, it's all going to come down to the lines, the offensive and defensive lines for the Buccaneers and for the L.A. Rams. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Ah, yes, the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots. Two teams contending while rebuilding or retooling or whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, that's what's been happening with those two teams. The... um. You know, both those teams dealing with life without historically great legendary quarterbacks, right? Drew Brees, not walking through that door in in um, New Orleans unless he's going to broadcast a game. And Tampa Bay is not walking through that door in New England unless he's going to be trying to throw another five, six touchdown passes against his uh, old, old, old squad. So New England and New Orleans, both teams are one and one. New England rebounded. After losing to Miami 17-16, they went ahead and beat the New York Jets 25-6. New Orleans, the tale of two cities, one spectrum to the other, I guess you could say, right after beating the crap out of Green Bay the week in week one, 38-3. They were embarrassed by Carolina uh, last week. Um, what was the score? I forgot what the score was, but I know it was something that was uh, very embarrassing, like 28 to 6 or some nonsense like that. But basically, you know, Carolina embarrassed New Orleans the same way that the Saints embarrassed the Green Bay Packers. Now, New England is in game three of the Mac Jones era. Jones has been, I don't know, man, what do you want to say about Mac Jones? He's been a rookie. But what, what do you think he's been, I guess you could say, uh, efficiently, effectively average? Something like that. 
when you speak about his two starts, I mean, he's been good. He's completing nearly 74% of his passes. Okay, he's only throwing the ball six yards per pass play, which ranks 30, uh, 23rd in the league. But, um, you know, for the most part, he, he's been efficient. He, he's, he's being, he's being um, protected very nicely by Josh McDaniels and the uh, offensive brass of the New England Patriots. Not going to be asked to win any football games, especially when you're speaking about two games into the season, especially when you're speaking about the Patriots defense this year being much better than it has been in the last couple of years. And when you're speaking about the two games that he's been, or the two opponents that he's played, when you're speaking about the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tunga Vailoa, you know, Miami is not going to be putting up a boatload of points and then playing against the uh, rookie Zach Wilson and the New York Jets, another team that you don't expect to be putting up a bunch of points, especially a rookie quarterback, the rookie, uh, the record that rookies have against Bill Belichick. Uh, knew the Jets weren't going to be putting up a boatload of points for Mac Jones to all of a sudden start trying to win the game or become an integral part of throwing the ball a lot and winning the football game. So in the first two games of the season, Mac Jones has been just that. The game manager that they want him to be. Don't turn things over. Don't make any stupid plays. And we should be all right. On the other hand, speaking of making stupid plays and being unpredictable and the roller coaster ride, and what are we going to get from pass attempt to pass attempt here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with George Truly, Wendell Wallace, the New Orleans Saints with Jameis Winston. <laughs> oh, boy. Ah, man, (laughs) he's been the most, I guess you could say what he's been the most unpredictable quarterback so far this season, right? Two games into the season, right? Hey, ho, hey, Winston's coming to uh, New Orleans. He spent a year learning under Drew Brees and Sean Payton, and now the team is his, rightfully uh, winning the job from Taysom Hill, and all right, here we go, the new and approved Jameis Winston, that bullshit that we saw in Tampa Bay, especially the last season that he was with Tampa Bay, where he threw t- uh, 30 interceptions. No way, no how that bullshit is going to be happening with Sean Payton, all of the ridiculous, head-scratching, mind-numbing plays and interceptions that he threw for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's not going to be happening in all oh, shit. He happened, it happened in game two, in game against the Carolina Panthers week two. Ah, shit. Here we go again. After tossing, after throwing, speaking of Jameis Winston, after throwing five touchdown passes and just 20 attempts in the opener, he threw a pair of interceptions while passing for just 111 yards in in the Carolina game the following week. He threw those passes where it was like, damn, that looks so much like it was, uh, it looks so much like 2019 Tampa Bay that it was scary. It was absolutely scary. So through two games, Winston has completed 25, uh, 25 passes. Alvin Kamara has been the leading receiver with seven. Okay. At least Winston is not risk it biscuit with the consistency of what he showed with Bruce Arians. Carolina has a pretty good defense. The team got behind. The offensive line has been trash. All, all of those things, all of those things played a role. But I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I mean, are we, are we just resigned to say this is just Jameis Winston? I mean, physically. I mean, you know, because we think of things saying, you know, look, if a guy, if a guy is slow and he can't jump and he's not athletic, 
you're not going to be able to uh, all of a sudden, there's no coaching, there's no nutrition program, there's no workout program, there's no PED, there's no steroids that you can take to, if a guy has a 35-inch vertical, to all of a sudden get him to a 43-inch vertical. If a guy can run a 40 and 4.9, there's no routine, there's no workout, there's no sleeping in oxygen chambers, there's no TB12 routine or workout that can change a guy's 40 from a 4.9 to a 4.3 or 4.4. There's just not. It is who he is, right? So when we think about, you know, this is who he is, let's see what we can work around it. It usually comes with physical limitations, right? Right. Kyler Murray is not going to grow to be 6'2". Russell Wilson is not going to grow to be 6'4". <clears throat> so we're going we're, we're gonna to have to see what we can do to kind of work around his physical limitations in terms of being a quarterback that's not going to be your prototypical 6'4", 250-pound quarterback. So we're going to have to work around those limitations because Kyler Murray ain't growing any taller along with Russell Wilson, right? Am I right? You know, there's some quarterbacks that look, you know, there's some passes that he just can't make. Why? Because he doesn't have the arm strength. So I don't care how much workout, I don't care what type of weightlifting program, what type of stretching program. I mean, Drew Brees near the end of his career was never going to be able to throw the ball down the field 40 yards. So we're going to have to see what we can do to work on that because that's just not in the plans. Same thing, I guess we could say now mentally with Jameis Winston. Uh, we're just getting to the point where, look, we're just going to have to put up with just some of these games that he's going to have. There's going to be some games where Jameis Winston is going to make me want to drink alcohol and make me not live anymore as a football coach. He's going to go out there and make plays that are just going to make me start crying uncontrollably as a coach. And there's nothing that I can do about it. It is who he is. We can talk to we're blue in the face saying good decisions good decisions if it's not there get rid of it don't force it don't do this don't do that we can talk about that with him 25 hours a day eight days a week 375 days of the year Jameis is going to be Jameis and we're just going to have to live with it the best that we can do is just kind of lessen the amount of time that he does it unfortunately with the receivers being out Michael Thomas being out the other receivers being unproven, Marquez Callaway and Dante Harris and such, and Chris Hogan. They've only combined for nine catches so far this season. There, There is no, like, you know, there is no, like, Randy Moss. There is no, like, you know, Hall of Fame all-time great wide receiver who can kind of put perfume on some of the stench and the stink of some of Jameis Winston's pass attempts. He is what he is. So moving forward, man. You know, that's that's what he's all about. I mean, he's going to have to be complimented by a great running game and a great offensive line. But, and I, look, it's only, again, it's game two. It's game two. And here I am already making these, you know, proclamations about this is who Jameis Winston is. But take a look at his body of work. I mean, again, ever since the 2019 season, the first couple of years, I mean, it was manageable in terms of his interception to TD ratio. It wasn't something that was outrageous. Then Arians came in and said, fuck it, kid, throw the ball wherever you want to. And his interceptions went through the roof. And we thought, you know, with a new mindset and a new philosophy and and everything and some maturity and him getting LASIK so he could see better that uh, these things would change. But so far through two games, he's just as unpredictable as ever. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, 
Wendell Wallace, oops, sorry. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. We'll talk about some injuries real quick before we get out of here. Tua Tonga Vailoa experiencing broken ribs, so he's going to miss Sunday's game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Brian Flores on Wednesday told ESPN's Jeff Darlington that we decided to run some more tests when we ran them, and we got this information. It's unfortunate. I don't want to put a timetable on it. He's taking it day-to-day. Jacoby Brissett, the guy who came in, completed 24 of 40 passes, 169 yards. Pedestrian, one interception in relief of Tua when he was injured early in the game during the the embarrassing defeat, 35-0 of the Buffalo Bills. Now, you know, glass half full type of uh, situation with Jacoby Brissett. Okay, he didn't put any points on the board, but, you know, he was consistent in getting Miami to drive the ball into the... uh, Bill's side of the field, um, he did it four times uh, in the game, so if you want to take a look at glass half full and, you know, be Mrs. or Mr. Positive, maybe you can say that, but I mentioned it before, man, this, this whole thing with Tua, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, I mean, even before he got injured, I don't know, so now you're going to be, t- how, how long if you're Miami, and again, I mentioned this before on my last podcast, how long are you going to wait for you know, Tua, to find out exactly what he is. And look, you know, this is a situation where if Justin Herbert becomes the Justin Herbert who we all think that he's going to be, or at least people who know the game of football and study the game of football and get paid six figures, seven figures by the National Football League and the franchises for being able to tell which quarterbacks are great and which quarterbacks are not and coaching them up and all those type of things. If all of those folks, if the consensus of those people are saying that Justin Herbert's going to be a great franchise quarterback. I mean, if you're Miami, you passed on him to pick up Tua Tungavailoa. And the book, I don't know. I don't know what the book is on him, but we all know that the book isn't going to be as popular so far as what's being written about Justin Herbert. So how much of finding out what you've got with Tua uh, based on look, man, I need to keep my job. And I don't want Stephen Ross coming up to me saying, okay, you let go of Tua or, you know, you don't think Tua's the quarterback. Why in the fuck then did we uh, draft him and not draft Justin Herbert right now who's tearing up the league? If you can't make that, if you, if you were so off on that judgment, why am I hiring you? Why am I paying you? What are you doing here? So this might be a situation where the Miami Brass, Flores and such, whoever drafted, whoever decided that it was a good idea to draft uh, Tunga Bailoa instead of Justin Herbert. Maybe this is a situation where we really can't let go of him or we really can't speak of moving on to a different situation or we have to maybe put the Deshaun Watson talks on hold and such because, you know, basically I have my reputation staked on Tua Tunga Bailoa. So we're going to give him every opportunity possible for him to prove that what we did was right by drafting him and not Justin Herbert. So regardless of what Jacoby Brissett does in the time that Tua's not playing, whether he's going to be out for one week, four weeks, or whatever, you know, I think this is going to be a situation where Tua's going to have to, uh, Tua's going to have to do something. And so far, he's been efficient. So far, he's been decent. So far, he's done some things that make you say, hey, you know what, maybe he could be a starting quarterback. But that's it. Starting quarterback. I didn't say franchise quarterback. I said starting quarterback. Justin Herbert's a franchise quarterback. So even if we give Tua 
maybe the decision to go to Deshaun Watson ultimately might be just because we found out that Tua, yeah, he might not be a bust, but starting quarterback. We've already known that Deshaun Watson is a franchise elite quarterback. If he can get his shit together with all of this kinkiness that he's doing with massage therapists, who knows? Who knows? But with Tua, this was supposed to be the year to find out exactly what they have with the quarterback. And again, it's only two weeks. It's only two weeks. It's only two weeks. It's only two weeks. But you can't help the club if you're going to be in the tub. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I mentioned about Carson Wentz, ankle injury. Another, another guy where it's just like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Colts are preparing as if Wentz is not going to play. That was reported earlier in the week. He's in danger, speaking of Wentz, of missing a game due to injury for the fourth time in six NFL seasons. This is after a training camp, which he underwent foot surgery and caught COVID-19. Man, the offensive line hasn't done him any favors. I mean, the Colts are giving up six sacks and 21 quarterback hits through the first two games. Now, again, how much of that is due to Carson Wentz holding on to the ball? Carson Wentz not being fluent in his reads. Carson Wentz being illiterate in his reads. Carson Wentz trying to uh, make something that isn't there. Some of the situations, some of the complaints that were coming out of Philadelphia in terms of, yeah, man, he's getting hit a lot. Yeah, he's getting sacked a lot. But shit, when you hold the ball for 15 fucking minutes, what do you expect? So, Carson Wentz, game time decision. Again, I wouldn't start him if I was Frank Wright. Again, I'm not there, so I don't know the whole situation. Frank Wright knows the situation much better than I do, along with the team doctors. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on my podcast, which is Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. So, look, I don't know what to do about Carson Wentz. You don't know what to do about Carson Wentz. We're not there, so if he plays, he plays. If he doesn't, he doesn't. If he doesn't play... Moving forward, again, we still haven't got the definitive answer in terms of Carson Wentz moving forward. Is he going to rebound to get to where he was in 2017? Is this Carson Wentz the quarterback now moving forward? And if this is going to be the Carson Wentz moving fo- moving forward as a quarterback, what do you do if you're in Indianapolis? Where do you go if you're in Indianapolis? Can you win with this quarterback Carson Wentz who let's just take best case scenario if because of injury and maybe the league has found him out and everything like that maybe Carson Wentz what we thought he was going to be in 2017 is not going to happen okay all right so he's not going to be the MVP he's not going to be one of the franchise elite quarterbacks which I've been touting for a while with Carson Wentz I thought that he was going to be better than Dak Prescott oops my bad so um if he's not going to be that guy who we thought he was going to be. If you're Indianapolis, if you're stuck with this Carson Wentz, the person that you traded for, what do you do? Do you still still think that you have championship aspirations? Guys, 25, what's Carson Wentz? 25, 26, somewhere around there? I mean, how long are we going to figure this out? How long are we going to use the, hey, he's only 25. Hey, he's only 26. Hey, he's only 27. Hey, he's only 28. As the Colts continue to go, you know, continue to go 7 and 10 year after year or continue to go 9 and 8 or 10 and 7 every year and just be mediocre with a 
mediocre to good quarterback in Carson Wentz who's going to miss four or five games a year because of injury. How, how long are we going to play this game? How long are we willing to play this game? How long are we willing to give Carson Wentz to show us uh, what type of quarterback he's going to be? Franchise, uh, uh, a.k.a. Uh, like he was in 2017, MVP candidate, franchise quarterback, or is he just going to be this guy which we see now? Now, you can make the argument with Carson Wentz that he did some good things and he played against two very good defenses in Seattle and the Rams. Okay, but guess what, man? If you're going to be winning championships, if you're going to be winning Super Bowls, guess what? You're going to be playing some very good defenses unless you play Kansas City because their offense is so spectacular that the defense really doesn't need to be L.A. Rams, Seattle, Tampa Bay, Pittsburghish, like in their dominance. But um, you're going to win the Super Bowl. Those are some of the things. Those are some of the teams. Those are some of the defenses. Those are some of the defensive coordinators you're going to have to go up against. Feel confident if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan with Carson Wentz doing that? I don't know. As of right now, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end the NFL speaking with this. Justin Fields is going to start. Coach Matt Nagy told reporters on Wednesday that the Bears rookie quarterback will make his first career start Sunday as Andy Dalton is expected to be out with a left knee injury. Nick Foles will serve as Fields backup Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. Now, Dalton suffered the knee injury Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals after landing awkwardly on the Chicago sideline following a scramble. No one touched him. No one did anything. It's just, hey, man, old man injury, I guess. (laughs) Andy Dalton is not old. But um, the Bears are going to be playing Cleveland this Sunday. Look, you know, with Andy Dalton, you know what you're getting with Andy Dalton. I, I, I don't, I don't know. And, and you know, look, we could talk about Chicago's offensive line stinking out loud, and you know Matt Nagy's decision to say, "Hey, look, man, I'm not going to ruin this kid um, by putting him against a porous offensive line that's still trying to gain some continuity and some uh, understanding of each other." So I'll let Andy Dalton take the beatings, especially Andy Dalton, a veteran quarterback of over 10 years. He'll be best to manage a situation like what the uh, Bears offensive line is dealing with right now. So, you know, to give us the best chance to win. And that what we always say with the uh, players playing and quarterbacks playing, he gives us the best chance to win. All right. I will agree. Andy Dalton for maybe the first game, first week or two, gave the Chicago Bears the best chance to win that week. That's now over. I don't know what the situation is with Matt Nagy. I don't know what the expectations are from management, the people who pay his checks. I don't know exactly what they're looking for from Matt Nagy. I don't know if he has to make the playoffs. I don't know if he has to win a certain amount of games for him to keep his job. But this season is about, hey, man, let's get Justin Fields in there and just start it right now. Start it right now. Good, the bad, the ugly. Start it right now. Andy Dalton's going to get you. Andy Dalton maybe might be able to save a coach, coach's job, if his expectations are just give me seven or eight wins. I mean, hell, man, go eight and nine. Go seven and ten. Screw it. And we can go ahead and we can keep moving forward. Possibly Andy Dalton can, can do that for you. Guy who's been to the playoffs. Didn't perform very well against uh, when he was uh, with the Cowboys last year, but he's competent. He's a veteran. He's a professional. He's a professional quarterback. Justin Fields has a chance to be a franchise quarterback. Let's find out 
if he is a franchise quarterback. Now, we're not going to find out in one game. We're not going to find out in six games. Hell, we're not going to even find out in one season. But let's just start the journey to figure out what's going on. Because the sooner we find out yay or nay, the better. So we can move forward. Is this the type of guy that we're going to be able to build around? Is this the type of guy that when we speak about free agency, when we speak about draft picks, that, hey, man, we got to go ahead and get that offensive lineman. We got to go ahead and get that uh, wide receiver. We got to go ahead and free agency and overpay for a wide receiver because we need to give Justin Fields the best opportunity to uh, to thrive and survive and to uh, be a great quarterback. You saw the Cincinnati Bengals deciding to go with Jamar Chase out of LSU because they wanted to help out Joe Burrow and his matriculation and his maturation to becoming possibly a franchise quarterback for the wayward Cincinnati Bengals. We saw the Miami Dolphins try to do everything they could to improve the stature and improve the chances of Tua Tungavailoa becoming a franchise quarterback with the drafting of Jaden Waddle. We saw the Las Vegas Raiders a few years ago try to help out Derek Carr with the drafting of Henry Shruggs. So this is a situation where, hey man, you know what? Let's go ahead this season, figure out exactly where we need to go and do the direction of the Chicago Bears with Justin Fields as our quarterback. Shit, we drafted the man to be our guy, to be our guy going forward at the quarterback position. Okay, let's see specifically where we need to help him the most, get him on the field now and figure out exactly where we need to go to tailor make this team to the strength, to play to the strengths of Justin Fields. So let's go ahead and uh, start that now. So the Justin Fields era in Chicago has started. If you're a Bears fan, you should be excited. Hopefully you'll still be, you, you should be excited. But uh, yeah, so the NFL week three, we're still in the preseason process in terms of what are we talking about in terms of teams are concerned and that type of thing. We'll find out going to be some good games this weekend. I'm going to be interesting. I'm going to be interested to see exactly how it plays out. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Speaking about the NFL, a little bit later on, the next segment, the ending segment, the closing segment, I'm going to be speaking about Ben Simmons and his need, his want, his desire to go somewhere else other than the Philadelphia 76ers, he has said to Elton Brand, he has said to Daryl Morey, he has said to Doc Rivers, hey man, I am not going to be coming 
to training camp. So um, I don't know exactly what you're going to do. But moving forward, you better trade my ass because I am not going to be going to training camp. Let's see what happens if the 76ers cannot find a place for him to go and they start finding him 270 something thousand dollars a day or every time he misses a training camp. Let's see how long that lasts. But I'll be speaking about that in the closing segment of the podcast. Right now, I just want to quickly talk about what's happening week four of college football. There's some good games, of course, gains of interest. Notre Dame at Wisconsin, Texas A&M at Arkansas. Oh, I'm sorry. The number 12th ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish at the number 18 Wisconsin Badges. The number 7 Texas A&M whoever's versus the uh, number 16, number 16 ranked uh, Arkansas Razorbacks. Number 24 UCLA Bruin at the Stanford Cardinal. The Tennessee Vols at the Florida Gators ranked number 11, speaking of Florida. And an intriguing, interesting game. The number 9 Clemson Tigers on the road. Oh, excuse me. Wait, long day today. And on the road at uh, NC State. So it's going to be some pretty decent games. I'm looking forward, of course, to Notre Dame at Wisconsin this Saturday at noon. At Soldier Field in Chicago. Two teams, I guess you can say, when you're speaking about Notre Dame and Wisconsin with something to prove. Notre Dame is looking to stay undefeated at 4-0. I guess you could say for Notre Dame, it's been um, uninspiring, I guess. In games against Florida State and Toledo, along with the win over Purdue, that was nice. But Florida State and Toledo, man, Florida State took them to overtime before Notre Dame won. And we've seen the train wreck that Florida State had become. And Toledo was supposed to be an everybody get a letter type of game, which turned out to be more competitive than expected. And if you're thinking about, well, you know, Toledo this, Toledo that, they were humiliated by a bad Colorado State team the week after so I mean this was uh, this also wasn't a we are so upset that we lost to Toledo that we didn't show up for Colorado State Colorado State stinks Toledo was uh, destroyed by them and let's put it this way Colorado State did to Toledo what Notre Dame was expected to do with Toledo so interesting so even though Notre Dame is 2-0 hasn't been what we call the most inspiring 2-0 the most like, well, wow, maybe, you know, the Irish are back. You know, wake up the, Rook, the Nuke Rotneys and the uh, Joe Thiesmans. Wisconsin, one and one, trying to position itself as a playoff contender after the opening season loss to Penn State at home. A lot of storylines in this game. I guess you can say the main storyline of this game between Notre Dame and Wisconsin is that the uh, quarterback for Notre Dame, Jack Cohn, was a starter, 12 and 6 as a starter when he was playing starting quarterback at Wisconsin, lost his starting job to the current quarterback for the Badgers, Graham Mentz. When um, Cone was injured, Mentz said, thank you very much for the opportunity, took advantage of it. Cone saw the writing on the board and was like, I'm out of here. So this season at Notre Dame, he's passed for, speaking of Jack Cone, he's passed for 828 yards, nine touchdowns, two interceptions while completing 62 of 98 passes. So we're speaking somewhere around 63, 64%. His top target is tight end Michael Mayer. No, not Michael Meyer. No, not the long holiday season. The uh, Halloween season coming up. No, no Michael Myers here. That's Michael Mayer, best tight end in the country. He's going to be the best offensive weapon on the field, possibly uh, for Notre Dame. Well, most definitely for Notre Dame, but most definitely on the uh, on that squad. So, you know, Notre Dame has a lot to prove coming out, doing some things. Wisconsin, Wisconsin is trying to remind voters and playoff committee members that, hey, man, you know what? We are really playoff contending worthy. Every member in my podcast 
couple of weeks ago, or uh, yeah, I think before um, the first game between, or the game, the opening game of the season between Wisconsin and Penn State, I was speaking about, hey, this is an important game for Wisconsin, because now we're speaking about a situation where at the time, Wisconsin ranked number 12 in the country. They go ahead and they beat Penn State. That puts a notch on their belt to move up. And then you're speaking about some other teams that might fall. And now at the end of the at the end of the season, you could be looking at a Wisconsin team with the possibility of them beating Penn State, with the possibility of them beating Notre Dame that will put another good notch on their belt in terms of why we should be considered for the playoffs. So if they continue to do what they do, take care of business and beat the teams, that's going to give them some recognition it could put them in a position to be considered strongly for the playoff at the end of the season. Well, they went out late an egg in terms of red zone efficiency against Penn State through a couple of interceptions, a huge fumble at the in the red zone. And even though they thoroughly outplayed Penn State, Penn State found a way to win the football game. And that started a tumbling process in the rankings for Wisconsin. So this is currently where they're at, um, number 18, number 19 in the country, depending upon what roles that you look on. So as I mentioned before, self-inflicted wounds against Penn State for red zone possessions in the game managed only seven points because of a missed field goal, a missed chip shot field goal, and three turnovers, again, all in the red zone. So against Notre Dame on Saturday, I guess we can say that in this game, which is going to be a grind, um, which is going to be low. I don't think it's going to be low scoring as most people think it is. I don't think it's going to, had the offensive ineptitude of, say, Clemson and Georgia at the beginning of the season where Georgia won 10-3 to and the only touchdown they scored was a defensive score, interception return for a touchdown. And we saw how inept Clemson looked in that game. We saw how limited Georgia looked in that game at the quarterback position and at the, um, on, the on the offensive side of the football. I don't think even though you could say that uh, when you're speaking about Wisconsin's offense, the word methodical, can be best describing the way that Wisconsin plays their uh, football. I don't think it's going to be one of those slobber knocker, low scoring type of games. I think Notre Dame has the quarterback and I think Notre Dame has the, the weapons to go ahead and at least score 21 points in this game. And it's just going to come down to exactly which line of scrimmage, which style of play is going to prevail in this game. When you speak about, you know, Wisconsin, under Paul Crisp, the coach called Paul Crisp, they do what they always do. They establish the line of scrimmage by running the ball, control the ball, and then control the clock. And have a quarterback who's nothing more than a game manager who's not going to screw things up. If you take a look at their blueprint for success so far this season and what they're all about, even though they lost against Penn State the opening game of the season, they had 29 first downs in the game compared to 11 for Penn State. They controlled the ball for over 42 minutes. They ran the ball 58 times, passing in only 37. And those 58 carries generated 174 yards. And then, because they've only played two games this season, after they lost to Penn State against Eastern Michigan, a everybody show off for your girlfriend type of game, even if you carry it in the water bucket, they had 26 first downs compared to three <laughs> for Eastern Michigan. Wisconsin, 518 total yards compared to 
92 for Eastern Michigan. So they ran the ball for 352 yards and held the ball for over 39 minutes. So yeah, this was uh, even the walk-ons in the red shirts are going to be getting a piece of ass tonight after uh, playing Eastern Michigan because uh, that was the that's what the game was uh, subscribed for. That was the game that was, uh, as I mentioned before, a glorified scrimmage. So moving into a much tougher game against Notre Dame, game managing quarterback Graham Ertz. He's going to have to do something. Graham Mertz is going to have to at least throw a touchdown pass because so far this season, he hasn't. He hasn't thrown a touchdown, and the only, we're speaking about uh, uh, yards of 20 or more generated by the offense, three times. Three times in two games, one of those games being Eastern Michigan. So this is going to be something where um, um, Wisconsin is going to have to generate something. It's going to have to generate some type of offense. They're not going to be winning a 13-10 game. They're not going to be winning a 14-10 game. Hell, they're not going to even be winning a 15-10 game. These guys are going to have to put some points on the board. These guys are going to have to take advantage of any situation where they're in the red zone and they have a good opportunity. And doing all this, they're going to also have to, to control the ball get that running game going again. It starts with that offensive front, those big cheese heads that these guys with Wisconsin, the program, seem to recruit year after year after year. The same thing that used to be with Nebraska, get them kids from the cornfield to come in. They bulk them up, and then three or four years within the program, you're sitting there looking at a guy who's six foot four, weighing 310 pounds and can move, and he's a, he's a grader and all those type of things. Nebraska did that with Tom Osborne in the 80s. Wisconsin has been doing that first with Barry Alvarez and now with Paul Crisp for the longest. So Brett Bielema was also the coach in between Crisp and um, Alvarez that also subscribed to that uh, philosophy that Wisconsin has been having for the longest. So, hey, man, there's going to be a situation of who's going to be able to uh, to uh, get their games going in that respect. When you're speaking about Wisconsin on defense, they rely on their defense. Ranked 90th nationally in points per possession and second in the nation in total defense. Has allowed 66 yards rushing in two games. The defense for Wisconsin is stout and rip-roaring, ready to go. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So that's going to be the game. I'm interested really also in taking a look at UCLA and Stanford. Because if, I don't, I don't know exactly what we're looking at here. I don't know exactly what we've got. I don't know exactly what's going on with the Pac-12. I don't know who's great. I don't know who's playoff worthy. I know Oregon, of course, is. But other than that, what are we looking at with USC? What are we looking at with UCLA? What are we looking at with Stanford? When you take a look at these teams, are we looking at a Stanford team where after week one, we were talking, I was talking about, you know, this might be the beginning of the end of the David Shaw regime. The offense looked putrid and inept only scoring seven points. It looked terrible. Then they go ahead and they put the final nail in the coffin of um, Clay Helton and uh, what they did. So this is also a situation where what Stanford Cardinal team are we getting at? Are we getting a team that's going to be true contenders and be a real threat to Oregon? Or are we going to be looking at a team that looked back and said, you know, that USC team was in such complete disarray at the time that Clay Helton was coaching that they lost in embarrassing fashion on their home field in their opening game of the season at home against Stanford. I don't know. And for UCLA, who everybody was like, first they beat Hawaii, and it was like, finally Chip Kelly gets a non-conference victory, the first in his career coaching at UCLA. Then they went ahead and they beat uh, LSU at home in front of a fantastic atmosphere at the Rose Bowl. And everybody was talking about, hey, can UCLA be that team that most people didn't really think about? And now they're going to be a team that's going to be doing this and they're going to be competing for that. And 
they moved up to number 15 or somewhere in the top 15 in the rankings, and then they play Fresno State, and they lose a close game 42-37, and now everybody's back on to saying, well, Chip Kelly, I don't know, I don't know. If UCLA loses to Stanford, if UCLA loses to Stanford, everything that UCLA had in terms of good vibrations and good motivations and high expectations and hip hip hooray and doing all these things, that is out the window if they go ahead and lose to uh, Stanford. And then the Chip Kelly job discussion is going to take center stage. Center stage, And where did that go from there with that team in UCLA? I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. And of course, another game before I get out of here talking about college football here on Wendell's World of Sports the Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I talked, to, I talked about it before, Clemson and NC State. Could we be looking at here before the end of September that Clemson is going to be practically in all intent and purposes eliminated from the college football playoffs if they lose this game to NC State? And what does that mean moving forward if they lose this game? Maybe it could just be like, look, man, I mean, you know, Alabama has won a championship and then has come back and didn't qualify for a playoff. I mean, they did it once. But, uh, you know, we're not going to be undefeated every single year. And this is a transition year. When when do the expectations change? All of a sudden now, what are we looking at? What credibility will take a hit in terms of Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, if Clemson comes out and is just as inept on the offensive side of the ball as they've shown against Georgia and Georgia Tech. You know, getting shut out by Georgia, bad, but Georgia's one of the best defenses in the country. Only scoring 14 points against Georgia Tech, a team last year you put 180 points on by the end of the first quarter, not good, not good. Then, you know, you have a team like NC State where the defense is just going to be mediocre, not good if they don't go ahead and put at least shit, man, 24 points. I mean, is that reasonable to think? We're talking about Clemson here. We're talking about DJU. We're talking about skilled players. We're talking about Clemson's recruiting classes being, you know, top five, top four, top three for years upon years upon years. I mean, now, shouldn't we be talking about, hey, that offensive line, this is a good game for them to get better. Offensive weapons, good game for them to get better. Wide receiver, quarterback, relationship, chemistry, Good time for them to start clicking and getting better in a situation where they're playing a team in NC State, which is going to be giving them more offensive possessions than the slow down, take the air out of the ball uh, game plan that Georgia Tech had the week before. And on top of that, I don't think that this game is going to be lasting 15 years because of rain delays and everything else. It seemed like, man, Georgia Tech in Clemson was playing all day, every day, every single day because of those rain delays last um, Saturday. So, did that have any type of uh, impact in terms of the lack of rhythm and the ty- and the lack of consistency and continuity that happened on offense for Clemson on this past Saturday? I don't know. We will find out. But college football in full swing. College football always a joy. College football on Saturday. Start my day at 9 Pacific Standard Time. Ended around 10 Pacific Standard Time in the evening. Looking forward to it. College football, Stanford, UCLA. College football, Texas A&M and Arkansas. College football. Oh, by the way, C.J. Stroud for Ohio State is not going to be starting 
uh, in their game against, I don't know, some cupcake school that they should uh, have 15 sacks against and hold the team to like two first. They should treat the team that they're playing. I don't know. what Is it Akron? Or I think it's Akron. I think. I don't know. But they're playing. Ohio State is playing a team where they should beat them up on defense like Wisconsin did Eastern Michigan the other day. So C.J. Stroud is not going to be starting. Quinn Ewers still nowhere to be found. Interesting. Very interesting. Especially the two players or the two quarterbacks that are going to be getting time or the backup to C.J. Stroud is also a freshman. If he plays well, interesting. Very interesting. So, College football this Saturday in a couple of, what, 12 hours, 13, 14 hours, somewhere around there. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast. Final segment of the program. Thank you very much for listening. Talked a lot of things regarding the NFL and college football. Got a lot of uh, thoughts and opinions that I wanted to share with you uh, out of me. So you can go ahead, take it, digest it, throw it up, whatever you want to do with it. But uh, gave you my thoughts and feelings about some things. Gave you some thoughts and feelings about the weekend coming up with college football and the NFL. So normally, especially when we're speaking about, it's still September moving into October, but there's still another week left in the month of September. Normally that's really heavy saturated with the NFL talk with college football talk. But for the most part, ever since spring training ended for, or uh, the preseason ended for the NFL and college football started their thing near the end of August. This has really been a heavy saturated uh, NFL and college football podcast. Nothing really going on in the NBA. How much, how much do I yearn to talk about my Georgetown Hoyas two months away from the season starting, but I mean, there's really not too much to report on Georgetown as far as the basketball program is concerned. Chris Livingston, the five-star recruit, decided to uh, make the huge mistake and go to Kentucky instead of learning from America's coach, a guy who spent over three decades in the NBA as a player and a coach in Patrick Ewing. He wants to go ahead and play for Kentucky. All right, fine, Chris, you go ahead and do that. Good luck to you. Um, Ryan Dunn, another recruit that Georgetown started in late on, he decided that he was going to go and play at the University of Virginia. So, you know, really after Denver, England decided that he was going to play for Georgetown uh, back in the summer, it really hasn't been too much in terms of really great news for the 2022 recruiting class for Georgetown. But that's okay. I mean, I just wanted something to talk about. I just wanted something, anything regarding Georgetown for me to uh, mention to y'all. But the fact that uh, nothing's really going on, quiet, 
guys are either in class or they're in class and doing open gym and lifting weights and getting ready for the season that way getting themselves acclimated to a new school year a little bit different for them as well as a lot of college athletes who are going to be going back on campus who are going to be going back to a normal routine before this whole COVID situation hit. So really nothing new to report on the Georgetown basketball team. So I've been not able to go ahead and share my love and share my enthusiasm and share my passion about Georgetown in that way. So, you know, mainly it's been the NFL, which I'm glad to do. As I mentioned before, man, hey, when we're speaking about the hierarchy in terms of loves of my life during this time period, it ain't the NBA. It ain't my Halle Berry. It ain't my Layla Roshan. It ain't my Monica Bellucci. It ain't my Jada Starr. It ain't any of them females who I'm just madly in love with uh, representing, resembling the NBA in terms of loves of my life. Them women are on vacation. Now, my mistresses... My beauties, as far as NFL and college football, now they're occupying all of my time. So really, I haven't had any interest to go ahead and talk about what's been going on or speculate what's uh, happening in the NBA. But in this situation, for the final segment of the program of my podcast, I said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do this. This is speculation. This is news that's really shouldn't be surprising to really anybody who follows the NBA or even follows the NBA a little bit or even watch the uh, NBA playoffs. But, um, you know, for some reason, this has been breaking news. And some reason, this has been a talking point for all the uh, talk shows on television, the uh, Shannon and Skip show and the uh, Mike Greenberg show and the Nick Wright show and the uh, and the uh, first take Molly Quorum Rose show or so. I said, fuck it, man. Let me just go ahead and just give my two cents into all of this talk about what's been going on with Ben Simmons, Philadelphia 76ers, point forward, point guard, Ben Simmons. Exactly how long are we going to be able to say Philadelphia 76er guard Ben Simmons? Because he has told the 76ers brass, he's told Daryl Morey, the president of basketball operations, he's told Elton Brand, the general manager, he's told Doc Rivers, uh, the head coach, that he's not going to report once training camp opens next week. Now, that, that's it. I'm, I'm done with the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm done with y'all. Through, finish, finito. This relationship is over. So, according to Ben Simmons. Now, Doc Rivers has been going all on talk shows now. He's talking about, man, I want Ben Simmons to play on the team, and I want to get Ben Simmons back there. And now he's trying to uh, do a little uh, moonwalking, trying to do a little backtracking in terms of what he was asked at the end of the season when the 76ers lost at Game 7 to Atlanta. And the reporter asked, hey, man, can you see yourself, Doc, can you see Ben Simmons being the point guard moving forward with this team and still expect to be competing for championships? And Doc... Being very honest, he said, I don't know, man. I have no idea. Now, a lot of that was emotion. Look, you just came off a Game 7 loss at home, another opportunity, another missed opportunity, and you've been so fully enthralled in what's going on on the court. I'm quite sure Rivers wasn't sitting there with about 30 seconds left to go in the game contemplating what to do about the upcoming season and the season after that regarding Ben Simmons. So I think it was an honest answer where he said, hey, look, man, I don't know. I think if you would have asked Doc Rivers anything of substance about the future of the Philadelphia 76ers, he would have been noncommittal. He would not have given you a definitive answer. He just lost a basketball game, a heartbreaking basketball game. His soul and his heart is crushed. So he hasn't even gotten to that point about what to do about the roster going forward. So 
Rivers goes and speaks with uh, Stephen A. And he's sitting up there talking about, uh, you know, the media, you know, took my words and the media read into this and the media took what I said. And now, you know, he's trying to blame the media. So he's like, he's talking to Ben Simmons where he says, hey, it wasn't me who told that, that uh, said that I don't want you back. No, it's the media. The media took my words and they put them together and they made assumptions about what I said. And they're the culprits. They're the bad guys. They're the top heels. They're the ones who are saying that we don't want you. I never said that. I, okay. All right. All right, Doc. First of all, Ben Simmons is not a moron. I mean, he's he can't shoot. Uh, mentally, he gets weak at times in the big games and the pressure moments. And he might be a little bit arrogant, but stupid he is not so the, the media had nothing to do with it ben simmons wanted doc rivers to say hell yeah i want ben simmons moving along in the future with my basketball team everything that doc rivers is saying right now about ben simmons doc rivers should have said that uh, probably according to ben simmons now i haven't had an opportunity to talk to ben simmons i've never talked to ben simmons about this particular subject i've never spoken to anybody who knows ben simmons who i had a conversation with and asked the person really close to ben simmons hey what was ben thinking at the um, when doc said that he really wouldn't commit in so on in no uncertain terms or no sentences put together and putting down where he said that uh, i don't know exactly where we're going to be going with Ben Simmons in terms of being our point guard or having the confidence, the faith, the trust to put in the Ben Simmons for him to be a uh, franchise point guard for a championship team. I didn't, Ben Simmons wasn't sitting there going, wow, you know, that answer that Doc gave seemed to me like he wanted me to come on back and be my guy. And all of a sudden the media said, no, no, Ben, he really didn't say that. What he really said was, you're you're a bum, you're scum, you're a lowlife, you're a loser, and we'll never be able to win without you, so get him out of here. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's what Doc Rivers was trying to imply. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we were on the same page, and then the media came in and took my words and... You know, twisted them all around. Bullshit, man. Bullshit, Doc. You knew that. You know that. And if I'm Ben Simmons, I'm just insulted enough to be like, look, Doc, Doc, don't play me. All right? I understand exactly it was the end of the series. It was the end of the season. So, you know, I'll, I'll give you that. But don't don't sit up here and say, yeah, when I said that, I don't know going forward if Ben Simmons is going to be my point guard. What I really meant by saying that is, Oh, yeah, I'm 100%. Oh, Ben Simmons is great and he's awesome. And I can't wait to uh, have him as my point guard so we can go ahead and win championship together. And he can go down as one of the greatest point guards, basketball players, not just in NBA history, but in all of the walking planets in the solar systems and beyond. Come on, man. Don't do that nonsense. Don't do that nonsense. So Ben Simmons is not going to report. He is done with the 76ers, that's what he says. And according to sources, the Philadelphia 76ers all-star forward Ben Simmons will not report for the opening of training camp next week and intends to never play another game for the franchise. Now, in the story by the Philadelphia Inquirer's Keith Pompey, it was re- first reported late uh, last month that Simmons and his representatives requested a trade in a meeting with the Philadelphia Brass. The Philadelphia Brass, again, includes... Daryl Morey includes Elton Brand, includes Doc Rivers, made his intentions clear to those three that, yes, I am not going to be attending training camp. And according to ESPN, Adrian Wojnarowski, the king, the two sides have not spoken since that meeting. I think Joel and B tried to get in contact with them during the summer, and um, Simmons wasn't having it. He wasn't taking any calls. So... As I mentioned before, the 76ers president of basketball operations, one Daryl Morey, and coach Doc Rivers 
has told Simmons that they want him in training camp and on the floor to partner with All-NBA center Joel Embiid, which Ben Simmons has given the suck it chant to both uh, Moray and Doc Rivers. And of course, if Simmons does decide to uh, hold out, I mean, there could be six figures a day fines coming his way in this neighborhood of somewhere around $277,000 a day for him not to be traded. Now, he makes pretty good coin, but it'll be interesting to see how strongly he stands by that. Deshaun Watson was one of those guys where he's like, screw it, I ain't coming back to the Houston, Texas. I'm never going to play for them again. I'm not going to be in training camp. And I have the determination and I have the backbone. I have the uh, moral compass. I have the uh, belief in myself that I'm going to uh, sit out. Even if you find me, even if you take away my salary, even if you go ahead and ask for my signing bonus back, I'm not going to report. I'm not going to report. I'm not going to report. Who was in camp the first day when the Houston Texans started their training camp? Oh, it was Deshaun Watson. And why was Deshaun Watson in camp? Oh, that's right. I don't want to get fined. Oh, yeah. So right now it's easy for Ben Simmons to say, I'm not coming back. I'm never going to play. Screw you. Find me. I don't give a fuck this, that, and the other. When the uh, chickens come home to roost, as they say, let's see if uh, Ben is still going to be able to take that stand. Now, Pompey reported that Ben Simmons would, would, would prefer to play for one of the three California teams, two of them being Southern, the Lakers and the Clippers, one of them being Northern, the Golden State Warriors. There's four teams in California, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Sacramento Kings. Ben Simmons has no desire to play for the Sacramento Kings. All right. All right. So again, if he's going to hold out and not report to training camp, okay, fine. Enjoy getting $227,000 taken away from you every day you do not participate in camp. Now, is the Philadelphia Brass going to go ahead and do something like that? I mean, really, that's a bad look. I mean, if you're Philadelphia and you want to be a free agent destination and you want to say that we treat our players right and everything like that, a player, big-time player in free agency, you don't think he's going to be taking a look at that situation? Yeah, I, I understand that the Sixers are in the right to do what they do. I mean, you just can't... I mean, Ben, we're, we're not going to just have you sit out and we're still and you're still going to, going to be collecting a, a paycheck or just because you're upset and you're mad, I mean, you, and you're going to sit out, sit out. We just can't allow you to do that. So this is something I don't think, you know, Moray and Doc Rivers are dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Ridgey or dancing in the street like Martha and Vandell is doing the boogaloo wanting to go ahead and do this, but protocol is protocol, precedent is precedent, and you got to go ahead and do these things because what happens if Joel Embiid starts getting pally in, 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 in a half a year or in a year and he wants to do the same shit? Well, you know, a precedent has already been set if you just have guys wanting to uh, miss training camp and not go to training camp and not face any repercussions regardless of what the outcome is going to be, whether Simmons gets traded or Simmons finally does not so really a, a no-win situation if, if if philadelphia philadelphia is not a better team without ben simmons as much as his weaknesses and his foibles were laid to bear during the playoffs the lack of confidence in the shot the lack of the ability to even take a shot the lack of making free throws in in the clutch not in the clutch in the regular game and whatever. I mean, we saw the warts of his game come to fruition and really hurt the team in that regard. But yet and still, Ben Simmons is one of the better players in the league in terms of what he can do for 
the Philadelphia 76ers and him sitting out is not going to help Philadelphia get any closer to winning that illustrious NBA championship. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about this whole Ben Simmons situation. In the second year of a five-year, $177 million contract, which was the max, which he signed in July of 2019. So he wants to be traded. If I'm Ben Simmons, why didn't he just go ahead and pull a James Harden? Well, James Harden had more equity. James Harden had more trade uh, equity in terms of what he's doing. Now teams are looking to, the vultures are looking to circle the Philadelphia brass and try to, you know, get Ben Simmons relatively cheap because the last impression that they have of Ben Simmons is passing up a wide open dunk for a guy who's going to drive and get fouled and then miss one or two free throws because he has zero confidence in himself and doing anything as far as productive, putting the ball in the basket on a consistent basis. The teams that are looking to trade for Ben Simmons are offering meager because the last impression that we saw of Ben Simmons was clanging foul shot after foul shot after foul shot in important moments in the playoff games and looking like he would be he would rather be anywhere except on that free throw line shooting free throws. So these teams now are trying to go ahead and get Morey to sell cheap because a few instances or a few moments or a, a bad streak or a short amount of time of someone at their weakness kind of try to erase the overall picture of what that player is as a total basketball player and his productiveness and everything like that. People look at Ben Simmons and what he did and people look at what he did in the uh, playoffs, and of course they're going to say, th- sit there and say, well, he's a bum, and he's this, and he's that, and he's this, that, and the other. you got to remember the, the totality of who he is as a basketball player. This guy is a 6'9", 6'10", point guard, premium passing skills. He's an all-defensive uh, uh, player, was second in defensive, defensive of the year voting. Since he came into the league with the 76ers and started playing for real, the Sixers have won 60% of their games. He's a three-time All-Star. So, yeah, he can't shoot. Yeah, he was put into a situation where I just think the lack of shooting or the confidence as far as shooting the ball was exacerbated by the fact that, you know, the Philadelphia could be a pretty tough place to play. And when you're sitting there and all you're hearing is people talk about you can't shoot, 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 and you get that into your head, I mean, it almost becomes equivalent to uh, Steve Sachs with the Yankees being unable to throw the ball from second base from one side of the field over to the first base side. It gets into your head mentally. All of a sudden, you become the basketball version of Rick and Keel. So by that time, I just think mentally Ben Simmons was done with the Philadelphia 76ers. And from a 76ers perspective, look, if I'm Daryl Morey, I'm not giving him away. Ben Simmons can shit, sit there and shout and scream, and I don't know if he's shouting and screaming, but he can make his intentions known. He can make his feelings known that he's not going to be reporting the training camp and everything. I'm calling his bluff, and I'm not going to be giving Ben Simmons away. Again, he's too valuable of a player for me to trade him like he was the player that we saw in the playoffs. Like, that's Ben Simmons on a consistent basis. No, that's not Ben Simmons on a consistent basis. I've said it before. Now, because of his preference to play for the three teams on the West Coast, I don't don't know exactly how that would work. Look, man, when you're Philadelphia, you're not obligated to send Ben Simmons anywhere he wants to go. You're You're under contract for another three or four years, Ben. 
So what are we, what are you going to do? If we trade you to, I don't know, Indiana, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. What, not show up? Pout and not show up and do it that way? If I'm a team like Orlando, like now I mentioned before, Ben Simmons wants to go to the West Coast. He wants to play for the Lakers. I think on a team like Orlando, I think on a team like Minnesota, I think on a team like New Orleans, I think, well, Houston is super young, so I probably wouldn't say Houston, but I'm thinking Ben Simmons, 24, 25-year-old uh, player that he is, you put him on a young team and you take him out of the spotlight and you remove some of the expectations that playing for a championship contending team gives you. And all of a sudden he can go to Miami or excuse me, he can go down to Orlando and play on the team that's not expected to do anything. He can go to a Sacramento and play on the team that's not expected to do anything. He can go to a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves who really aren't expected to do anything. He can inundate himself with going to the San Antonio Spurs and learning from Greg Popovich and being around that nucleus of young talent there where they can continue to grow teams that aren't looking or teams that are not expected to vie for championships and that type of thing. I think to re rejuvenate, I think to rehabilitate his, his confidence and his game. I think Ben Simmons needs, needs to go to a, a, an organization or a place like that with low expectations where it's like, hey, look, man, we're going to give you the ball. Just do what you do. We don't care. If you don't want to shoot, don't shoot. If you're going to do this, do that, whatever. Because now you're not going to be scrutinized every game. Now you're not going to be scrutinized every quarter. Now you're not going to be scrutinized every possession where it's like, well, should Ben have shot that ball? Why isn't Ben shooting? And there's been times I remember watching him play, not uh, last uh, season, but the COVID seasons uh, where the NBA, the season was shortened. I remember a game where it was Utah versus the the 76ers. And I was all amped and I was all pumped. It was a nationally televised game. And I was ready to watch that game because I was intrigued to see, you know, the matchup between Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert. Well, Embiid set out that game because I believe his back was sore or his hip was sore. Or something was sore on that guy. So he didn't play. So Ben Simmons basically took over. And Ben Simmons was magnificent. Ben Simmons was shooting shots. Ben Simmons was drawing, was going to the line. Ben Simmons was uh, going to the going to the hoop. I mean, this was a guy who it seemed like he was unshackled from having to uh, play second fiddle to Joel Embiid on the offensive end. He was posting up. He was shooting jumpers. I mean, the guy was tremendous. I think he might have scored. I don't know if he scored thirty, but I know that he scored a lot. I know that he scored a real lot, and he, and he was aggressive. They put the ball in his hands and he was aggressive, whether it was scoring or whether it was looking for other players. Or I remember a couple of times he took a defensive rebound. Man went coast to coast and uh, and jammed it. So it was, I'm sitting there watching this game going, why doesn't he do that all the time? Again, maybe it's a situation because of Embiid. He doesn't have that opportunity to do so or because maybe they put so much emphasis on Embiid being the number one option on offense that maybe, again, he feels a little bit uncomfortable or maybe a little bit confused or maybe a little bit out of touch, out of sync in terms of how he needs to operate on the half-court sets or on the offensive end for Philadelphia. But it was just 
It was just amazing. We, we, we see Ben Simmons, how many YouTube videos or how many um, Twitter videos is this guy going to take of him, you know, in, in the gym at the Y or at the, uh, at the fitness joint up there shooting three-point shots and step-back three-point shots and putting the ball between his legs and yo-yoing and step-back and shooting threes. We don't want to see that shit anymore, Ben. That's you and Rondo shooting you know, threes and making them one after the other, after the other, after the other. We don't care. We, want, we don't want to see that stuff anymore. It's almost like, are you just fucking with us? Is that basically what you're doing? Are you just saying, yeah, you motherfuckers don't think I can shoot, huh? Well, guess what? Bam, 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 bam in these workout videos. But you know what? You guys boo me. You know what? You guys clown me. You know what? You guys get under my skin. Fuck you guys. How about that? Huh? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I can do in these videos. It gets to the, gets to the actual games, the NBA games. He doesn't do it. Of course, when you're playing NBA competition rather than folks at the YMCA type of competition or open run top competition, it's uh, it's a lot different, to say the least. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So the 76ers looking for trade packages to trade Simmons. Again, Daryl Morey is not going to be the guy that's going to be like, yeah, sure, fuck it. I mean, he wants to go. Let's go ahead and uh, get him out of here. That's not going to be the case for um, Morey. So what are we looking at here? What are we talking about? What packages, what teams, what offers are there? Again, the Philadelphia Brass wants a premium return. Star player, multiple first-round draft picks, or both. I think the dream scenario, of course, in Philadelphia, where they're speaking about trading Simmons, they want Damian Lillard. That's that's who they're hoping for. That's who they're praying for. They want Damian Lillard. Now, Lillard has come out again and again and again and said that um, I'm a Portland Trailblazer. I want to stay with the Trailblazers. I'm not interested in being moved. I'm not going to be asking for a trade, this, that, the other. The 76ers are thinking, yeah, you can say that now, especially since the season hasn't started yet and you're still fresh off of uh, winning a a gold medal in the Olympics. So, you know, you've, you've seen, you know, one level of the ultimate success, maybe not an NBA championship or an NCAA college championship, but, you know, that gold medal in the Olympics, that means something. So now you've got a taste of what it's like to, you know, play in important games and win championships and that type of thing. Now, if he gets back to Portland and it's going to be the same, same old song, but with a different meaning since you've been gone, like Levi and, and the Four Tops, now is he going to be able to uh, continue to have that attitude of, nope, I'm still a trailblazer. Nope, I want to see this thing through. Nope, I'm going to be loyal. Nope, I'm going to believe in what they're doing. Because remember earlier this summer, Lillard was like, hey man, you know what? I don't know if we can win a championship. Well, I, I don't feel that we can win a championship with the roster that we have right now. I mean, damn, we just lost to the Denver Nuggets who are playing without Jamal Murray and we're playing without, uh, oh, shoot, damn it, Will, Willie Barton, well, Will Barton. So they were playing without two of their best players. And we not only did we not even win the series, we couldn't even get to a game seven. We, we lost to six. So here I am on the other side of 30 years old, I mean, I don't know how many more years I got in my prime, but let's be glass half full type of optimistic and say four, three, two, one, go. But I mean, but four or three years left in terms of him being, you know, the type of player that he is now where the physical matches the uh, mental and the uh, skill set that he has. So there's only a certain amount of years I have left for me to be the player that I am now and be able to uh, lead this team to a championship.
And I can't waste 31, 32, 33, 34 while Portland is still sputtering and, you know, on that treadmill of mediocrity. I, I got to do something. The 76ers are hoping that finally Lillard's going to come to the conclusion that, again, I got to get out of here. He looks around, around the landscape and he sees where exactly can give me the best chance to win, the most realistic chance to be going to a team and winning a championship because Lillard also is a max player guy. So for all you Los Angeles Lakers fans who think that, oh, fuck it, we don't care. We can just go ahead and uh, trade, uh, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook and uh, one of the Lakers cheerleaders and uh, the seats to uh, Jack Nicholson where he used to sit all the time and we'll give them to Portland and and they'll give us Damian Lillard. Doesn't work that way. I hate to tell you guys this, but the NBA is not built to make sure that the Los Angeles Lakers are in dynasty mode all the time. So... If Lillard looks around, if the day comes where he says, I want to go to another franchise, go to another franchise, I'm not going to be, I mean, I want to be Dirk Nowitzki, but the way it's looking now, I'm going to wind up being Kevin uh, Garnett before he asked to be traded to the, the uh, Boston Celtics. I'm looking around and seeing what's my best case scenario, what's my most realistic scenario, and it's going to be the Philadelphia 76ers. And if Portland Dodge reach that bridge, which they might, which they're going to have to cross by saying that, okay, time for us to uh, do something with Damian Lillard. Well, outside of Bradley Beal, who is the other superstar or who is the best player that they can get? It's going to be Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons, with his defense, gives the Trailblazers an element which they hadn't had for years, which is a player who can actually play defense. And if you trade Lillard, hopefully the duo in Portland of Ben Simmons and C.J. McCollum could be enough to move forward. You're getting about, what, seven or eight years younger with the trade if you go ahead and do Simmons for Lillard if the day comes again. If Lillard says, look, I don't want to make a stink. I don't want to go James Harden. I don't want to cause a ruckus, but I want to be traded. I'm through with this. I'm done with this. I have gave you all nine, 10, 11 years of this. Time for me to move on. If Portland then says, okay, we'll do right by Dame, well, the best prospect or the best player that's going to be available for Portland would be Ben Simmons and then something like that would happen I mean if you're Moray and you just give Ben Simmons away because oh my goodness we don't want him coming to camp and you trade him for I don't know maybe 60 65 cents on the dollar and then two weeks into the season Lillard when the trailblazers are sitting there two and ten says you know what I'm done trade me get me out of here well oops I mean Philadelphia is going to be like oops our opportunity went down the drain because we acquiesced and um, played into the demands of Ben Simmons and, oh, he's not going to be reporting to uh, camp and he's mad at us and he never wants to play for us again. Okay, so let's just go ahead and uh, just get rid of him for the best for the best deal that's not Damian Lillard just so we can uh, move on with the situation. Daryl Morey is not that type of basketball president. Wendell's World in Sports... I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So if he's not going to be going to Portland for Dame Lillard, Bradley Beal, the other guy that many people are speculating that sooner or later he's going to be the next player, if it's not going to be Damian Lillard, that Beal's going to be the one that's going to say, get me out of here, even though over and over and over and over, Bradley Beal has expressed interest in staying with Washington for the long haul. He's been committed to that franchise. The franchise is committed to him. We're, we're, we're speculating that, you know, Washington's going to get to the breaking point where 
Beal's going to say enough is enough. And look, Washington is overflowing with too many forwards, and I don't know what the big men are going to be, and this is not going to be a team that's going to be challenging anytime soon. So you throw all that on the table, and teams are just looking and saying, well, there's, there's got to be a breaking point for Bradley Beal. If we can see this, how can he not see this? But we don't know. We we have no idea. And anyway, being a Washington Wizards fan, would I like to have Ben Simmons on my team with the uh, skill set that he has? Would it make us that much better? Would it make us, would it elevate us to, you know, being serious contenders? I'd rather do what Houston is doing, bottom out, starting from ground zero, getting some high draft picks, getting in some coaches and some developmental guys and bringing in some veterans with some um, professionalism and with which some maturity, which can show those guys what it's like to be an NBA basketball player for real and just go on from there. I'd rather be in Houston situation, be being a Washington Wizards fan. I'd rather be in Houston situation than I am currently with this Washington team. This this team isn't going anywhere. This team isn't doing anything. At least Houston, starting from ground zero, hopefully has some type of plan to eventually get better. And they have a young draft core, which gives them the at least a hope that they can improve as the years go on. While the Wizards, five years, I don't know, they're probably going to still be the same mediocre, bullshit, irrelevant team that they've been for the last, I don't know, eight, nine years. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you could be with us. So many teams and franchises and GMs are of that thinking in terms of Bradley Beal. I'm not looking for mediocrity. I want to uh, go to a team where I can win. Philadelphia, him and Embiid. That would be something else. That would be something else as far as the East is concerned. Would it make them better than Brooklyn, depending upon the uh, injuries or depending upon the health of Durant, Irving, and Harden? I don't think so, but, you know, it would put them right in there in terms of having the best opportunity or having one of the golden opportunities along with an improving Atlanta, uh, improving Atlanta squad, improving uh, Miami squad along with Brooklyn and the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending NBA champions. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So possible trade destinations for Ben Simmons. We could go ahead, trade him to Portland. Portland would get Ben Simmons, while the 76ers would get CJ McCollum, Nasir Little, and a future first-round pick. If you're Philadelphia, man, and you got him beat, and you got him in your prime, this is what Philadelphia needs. They need shooters and they need athleticism. Two of the things they would it would be nice to have athleticism from a front court player. You know, Tyrese Maxey, as he develops, uh, maybe he can be that guy from the backcourt position that could apply, that could supply some of that athleticism, but there's nobody on the Philadelphia 76ers that are runner that are run jumpers, that are athletic guys. You know, so you're just speaking about someone who like a Nasir Little. If they can develop him into some type of player, he's the type of athlete that the 76ers need. The skill set of C.J. McCollum, the outside shooting would open up things for Joel Embiid and future first-round tricks uh, picks for the 76ers would keep them, you know, keep them uh, the the, the uh, cupboard full in terms of opportunities to do some things moving forward. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Another trade destination, trade possibility for Ben Simmons, the Sacramento Kings. The Kings would get Simmons. I know that Ben is like, I don't want to go to Sacramento. I don't want to go to Sacramento. Well, guess what? You ain't going to be a free agent for a few years. So just like when the Washington Wizards traded Chris Webber to the Sacramento Kings for uh, Mitch Richmond and 
Chris Webber, you know, took the news like he just lost his best friend. And he came there pounding his head down. And then he said, oh, hey, you know what? Playing with Pedro Stoyakovich and uh, White Chocolate and Bobby Jackson and Vlade Divac and having a coach like Rick Edelman, not too shabby. Not too shabby. And Mike Bibby, not too shabby. So, you know, I, Ben Simmons talking about, I don't want to go here and I don't want to go there. Sorry, pal. You're too, you're just starting your journey into that contract extension that you got. So, you know, you're kind of at the whim of where the Philadelphia 76ers want to send you. You don't want to report. You don't want to do them things. Okay, fine. We're not going to do right by Ben Simmons to try to bend over backwards and get him to a destination he wants to be, he wants to go to. We're talking about the 76ers organization getting better. And if that means we have to send you to fucking Timbuktu or Darfur, guess what there, Ben? That's where you're going. Or you can retire. I don't give a fuck either way. So the Sacramento Kings, they would get Ben Simmons. And the 76ers would get Buddy Hill, outside shooting. Tyrese Halliburton, young emerging player with a lot of talent. Marvin Bagley Jr., the worst draft pick since Sam Bowie was taken in 1984 instead of taking Michael Jordan. Um, that was, uh, so Marvin Bagley, Sacramento picking him over Luka Dantich. Oops, but, uh, 76 Bagley is talented. He's injured, but, uh, he is talented. So, you know, maybe the 76ers could get something if, uh, that trade, something like that went down for both the Sacramento Kings and the Philadelphia 76ers. Now the Kings have reportedly kept De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton off the table, but, you know, to get Ben Simmons, would the Kings kind of uh, bend a little bit? Sure, not trade them to Aaron Fox, but uh, Halliburton to get uh, Simmons. Be interesting stuff that ever went to some real discussions. The Chicago Bulls, another team that's been reported to be interested or a good fit or something that could work in terms of obtaining Ben Simmons and also giving up things that the 76ers would uh, reciprocate to. The Bulls would get Ben Simmons. Well, the 76ers would get Zach Levine, Derrick Jones Jr. Interesting. Zach Levine kind of rehabbed his reputation this year and also with his play in the Olympics. He still can't play any defense, but um, here's a guy who can easily get his shot off against anybody, would open up the floor for Embiid because he's a decent enough three-point shot to where you have to respect it. And then again, his ability to score in multitude of ways would be awesome for Philadelphia, would be great for Embiid. And again, the athleticism is something that the 76ers desperately need along with the outside shooting. So the Bulls getting Ben Simmons, 76ers getting Levine and Derrick Jones Jr., who I think, what didn't Jones win the slam dunk competition a couple of years ago or something like that? So that's another bouncy front court player. That could help out in that situation if that trade went down, how that trade would make sense for both the Bulls and the 76ers. The Bulls getting Ben Simmons. I mean, again, the Bulls, another team, the way they're constructed right now. Someone asked, someone tell me, who's going to play any defense? There's no one on that team that can play some defense. The defensive side of the court would be greatly improved if Ben Simmons was acquired and then played for the Bulls moving forward. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Minnesota Timberwolves. That's been the one team that's really been like, hey, 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 hey. The Timberwolves would get Ben Simmons while the 76ers would get D'Angelo Russell. And this would mainly be, you know, picks and picks and picks and picks. They would get a 2022 protected first round pick, top three protected in 22, top two protected in 23, and unprotected 
in 24. The 24 projected first round pick two years after the 2022 first is conveyed. Top five protected, top three protected, top one protected. But again, it would keep that cupboard full with the 76ers going forward. The only question would be, does D'Angelo Russell in the now make it make the Philadelphia 76ers a true contender he played well in Brooklyn after having a disappointing start to his career in LA with the Lakers then he got traded over to the Golden State Warriors and that wasn't going to be a fit then the Timberwolves you know negotiated against themselves or traded against themselves to uh, go ahead and give up a couple of first round draft picks to the Warriors so they could go ahead and get Russell because him and him and uh, Carl Anthony Towns are good friends. Well, you know, that's great and that's wonderful. And those guys probably had, you know, visions of fancy playing with each other. But uh, Russell couldn't keep himself off the uh, injured list. And that fruition never, that, that, that duo never came to fruition. So, again, with the 76ers, the, the trade would have to be enticed. If the 76ers were going to do it, it would be based on the future first-round draft picks more than it would be D'Angelo Russell. So, there's a lot of things going. Oh, by the way, the, the Timberwolves are like Carl Anthony Towns and um, and uh, uh, Anthony Edwards. No, thank you. <laughs> don't don't even ask. Don't even bother. You know the the, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay, we can talk. We can go ahead and talk about some things. We can you know give you Kevin Love outside shooting, stretch shooting, even though. His short stint in the Olympics gave no indication that he would really be a major upgrade in that regard with the 76ers. He was supposed to rehab his uh, his um, his reputation as being an all-star and being a really good player and being a player that could help a team win a championship. And uh, he came to the USA training camp out of shape and didn't do anything and was a horrible defensive player and all those type of things. So Jerry Colangelo and those guys just say, Kev, just go home. You're wasting our time. You're not ready to play. Go home. So is that enticing enough for the 76ers to think that they can rehabilitate and rejuvenate the career of Kevin Love? I don't think so. And guess what? Colin Sexton is not on the table for a trade regarding that matter also. So there, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things going down with that, man. There's a lot of things going on with Ben Simmons. But as I mentioned before, the best thing for him to do would be to go somewhere and uh, go to a team that's not competing. I think on a championship squad, I think that Ben Simmons would be an awesome third, um, third option guy. I think you would have, he would be the all-star. You know how we say in the pecking order of superstar, like franchise player, superstar, all-star. I don't think Ben Simmons, at least not yet, is a Luka Dantich. He's not a LeBron James. He's not a Kevin Durant. He's not of that caliber. And I don't think that as a second guy, that we we saw evidence of that with his tenure in Philadelphia, especially uh, in this playoff, that I don't think that he's well equipped to do something like that. But if you could put him on the team as a third option where, again, he can just focus on his strengths, with which is rebounding and ball handling and decision-making and defensive play, then I think that team would be greatly enhanced. I think if there was some way that the Minnesota Timberwolves could get him on their squad, you don't have to, again, ask 
Ben Simmons to shoot too much. Anthony Edwards is going to take care of all of that and all the shots that he doesn't take, the three or four shots that he doesn't take during a game because he ain't shy at all. Carl Anthony Towns will be there to uh, greatly accept the scraps of shots that are being passed up by Anthony Edwards. So that's my NBA talk. That's my thoughts on the uh, situation with Ben Simmons. Ever-moving, ever-fluid, We will see what happens moving forward. All right, man, I am done. I am out of here. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I really, really, really do. And, uh, you know, to all my folks out there who are listening, special dedication for those who are listening in Ashburn, Virginia, special dedication for those who are listening in Los Angeles, California, special dedication for those who are listening in Plano, Texas, special dedication for those who are listening in British Columbia, special dedication for those who are listening in Toronto, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Paleri and listening to it in South Africa and listening to it in Bangladesh and listening to it in Pakistan and listening to it in Perth, Australia, Melbourne and Sydney. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When it comes to a situation like that and I'm trying to grow this doggone thing and I'm trying to build this doggone thing, I'm going to try to turn this podcast into something. I'm going to try to turn myself into a brand. I need you. I need you. In a situation like this, you are now my Felisa Hams. You are now the loves of my life to try to get me to where I want to go and do what I want to do concerning this podcast. You are my first. You are my last. You are my everything concerning this podcast. So, as my man Barry White takes us out, as my man Barry White goes ahead and does what he does, rest in peace to the legend, rest in peace to the man with the soulful voice other than Isaac Hayes. Him and Isaac Hayes in heaven right now, they must be putting on a show. Him and Melvin Franklin too, three guys that could really bring it down low. So yeah, man, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Peace, love, unity, harmony, understanding, educating, listening, learning, dropping the privilege, dropping the stupidity, dropping the ignorance, and moving together as a society, one love, one unity, one harmony, one heartbeat, respect one another, regardless of skin color, regardless of gender, regardless of financial background, regardless of who you worship, regardless of who you love, based on respect, based on unity, based on moral character, based on moral moral fiber, Let's see if we can love each other the way that we would want to be treated and so forth and so on. You are my first. You are my last. You are my everything. <laughs>